The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. What's up? Good to see you, man. What's cracking? I'm good. I can't complain. We were just talking about uh, you live in New York City. Yes. And whether or not the migrant crisis is uh, a real thing. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. You notice it uh, in Port Authority. And uh, I think when Eric Adams gets in front of the country and says, I can't handle this, I think he's telling the truth. (laughs) And some people have accused him of racism, bizarrely, but I don't think it comes from that. I looked into this, and you know, the part people don't know about this story is, is really the full unfolding of it goes back to the 1930s. New York State made a constitutional amendment to the state constitution, which, provi- which required the state to provide housing for, for the homeless, essentially. And it was sort of vaguely worded. So in the 80s and 90s, the, the courts in New York began interpreting that more and more strictly. Almost no other state, I'm not sure if any other state actually has something in its state constitution uh, requiring that that kind of a thing. So basically what happened is, is the judges ended up interpreting this more strictly. Obviously the original purpose of this is for New Yorkers that are homeless to be housed. But they ended up interpreting it so strictly that when the Republican governors in Texas and Florida began sending a few thousand migrants up to New York City as kind of an FU to the liberal cities that have declared themselves sanctuary cities without actually having to deal with the kind of border crisis that Texas does, a few, the first few thousand found that legally New York had to house them. And then word got down to Mexico that if you make it to New York City, you will not be turned away. Legally, you don't even have to be a a citizen for the state amendment to apply to you. So what began as a few, let's say the first 10 or 15,000 were sent by the Republican governors as a kind of political tactic, has now become tens and tens and tens and tens of thousand coming of their own volition to New York City and it's the only state in the country where the, Mayor Adams has no legal recourse to send people elsewhere. He, he actually cannot do it. He's tried to do executive orders, but he legally can't because it's in the state constitution. It's above his, it's above his power. And now it's, its, own, it's, 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 uh, it's taken on a life of its own way over and above what the Republican governors started. So it's, uh, this is why he's going to the national media and literally saying, I can't do anything about this. I'm trying to do something about this, but I can't. And we're putting people up in Airbnbs for you know $100 a, a night, and the city will be bankrupt in X number of years if we don't find a solution to this. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was looking at a video of the Roosevelt Hotel, which is no longer a hotel. Mm. They, they've mm-hmm. essentially said this is now uh, a center for housing migrants. Right. And they, they've said the restaurant is no longer a restaurant. And sorry, that's just how it is now. Yeah. I mean, what do you do if you own the Roosevelt Hotel and you just wanted it to be a hotel and now the state just says nope? Yeah. I mean, look, I, I don't blame any of these people. If, you, if I was oh, born in Mexico, 100%. we'd all be doing the same thing. It's, just, it's a smart thing to do from their perspective. But that doesn't mean from our perspective 
that we should just put out the bat signal to the whole world and say, you can come to New York City and we have no legal recourse to move you anywhere else. It's just, it's not just New York City, it's other parts of the world. It's strange that recently it's become this crisis where migrants are coming en masse to these places and just flooding them. Like, is this orchestrated? Is this just a fact that they found out that they can do it and it's better than where they are? And if they go there, these places that are, you know, essentially, you know, they're charitably minded and they, you know, they would like to house people that are mm -hmm. down on their luck. But now people are t sort of taking advantage of that loophole and just swarming. I think that's what it is. I think the whole Western world has become much more open to immigration recently. Obviously, America was open to immigration in the 19th century, but we were the outlier. All yeah. the other countries of the world, the default was closed borders, right. essentially. So I think the whole world has, out of empathy for the, the poor and struggling, has wanted to have more permissive immigration, but that sends an incentive to people of the world that, that they can now come, they can you know, abuse asylum laws. And again, I, I don't even blame people for doing this because it's exactly no. what I would do if yes. I were born in Guatemala Absolutely. or Syria. I would say, hey, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a refugee. Uh, this is my story. And I would probably lie about it in order to get a better life in the one life that I had. But th it, this is just a true side effect of those compassionate laws is that people abuse them. You get you know, immigration pools that are vastly proportionally male, which is how you know that they're not refugees because where, where are the women? Right. right? Um, and uh, it's just it's it's a side effect of of the intended compassionate immigration policy. That's this is how this works. This Thomas Sowell's great quote: "There are no solutions; there are only trade offs." Mm. This policy has a trade off. It's more compassionate, but it also leads to, in the case of New York, what could be a serial a serious fiscal crisis. I was someone told me this. I I was looking to check into this, but I figured I'd wait until the podcast. Um, someone was telling me that. The Biden administration is talking about sending people back to Venezuela, oh, to I deporting about Venezuelans. This. See if you can find anything about this. Why, why Venezuela specifically? Because Venezuela is dealing with a communist socialist government, mm -hmm. and they wouldn't vote for that in America. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that's weird about this crisis is it comes at the same time as people trying to say that you should have no voter ID, mm -hmm. and they've openly spoken about it in New York, that people who are illegal immigrants should be allowed to vote. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is it's really look. I they've, cannot they've been, they've talk been pu shit. Pushing for that for years. I cannot talk shit because I am the product of immigration. My parents. Yeah, as am I. My grandparents came over here in the 1920s, and that is just you know okay. Mm -hmm. like, that's why I'm here. Where so, they come from? They came from Italy mm -hmm. and Ireland, mm -hmm. and that's just why I'm here. Mm -hmm. You know, so they came over when they knew that they could have a better life in America, and these people are doing the same thing, and I understand it, but. The, it's just wild that there's no requirements. Mm -hmm. It's like you're, there's no background checks. There's no checks to see if you're on a terrorist watch list. There's mm -hmm. a, you're just like letting people through. Biden administration will begin deporting Venezuelan migrants directly to Venezuela. I mean, that is just so. So the idea is Venezuelans are going to vote right wing like Cubans. Yes, because like they Cubans. Hate socialism. Exactly, because it's ruined their country. I'm curious, what is his stated rationale, though? Um, 
this is okay. Uh, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas confirmed that the administration has successfully negotiated a deal with Venezuela to execute the policy, but did not say whether Venezuela was getting anything from the U.S. in return. We are a nation of immigrants and we are a nation of laws, Mayorkas said at the same Thursday press conference. Uh, officials said that some migrants have already been identified for deportation. Starting today, the United States will begin direct rep repatriations of Venezuelan nationals back to their home country. And in fact, we have already identified individuals in our custody today who will be removed promptly in the coming days, a senior official said. Venezuelans make up a large share of border crossings, and for years, the U.S. has generally been unable to deport them because of frosty diplomatic relations with Venezuela. Mexico has agreed to take some, but it remains a difficult issue for the administration and for cities receiving migrants. That That is so transparent. Interesting. The fact that they're saying Venezuelans and that they're communicating with the Venezuelan government to deport these people, mm -hmm. That that's so gross. <laughs> so gross. Yeah. Very strange, very weirdly selective. It's just transparent. It's very obvious as to why they've been so loose about this border crisis thing in the first place. And uh, I, I assume you saw that Biden suspended 25 federal laws to start rebuilding the border wall. Did, did you see that? Um, so is like they're rebuilding the border wall yeah. now, yes. Yeah, he's yeah, essentially yeah. doing the same thing that Trump did. Yeah. They all do it. But, yeah. I mean, Obama talked about it in like 2013. It's yeah. like yeah. they've all talked about yeah. it. It's just... Speaking of the, the voter ID thing, though, this is one thing that uh, really made me crazy during COVID. For years, people on the left have been saying that voter ID laws are racist. I don't know if you've paid attention to yes. this at all, but the argument is that black people and especially poor black people struggle to get IDs. It's never made much sense because you need an ID to buy a six pack. You need an ID to open a bank account. You need an ID. It's just that all these, you know, normal things that people of all classes and races have to do. And then when uh, in in New York City during COVID, they implemented the policy that to get into any restaurant, any gym, uh, anywhere in the city, you needed Vax card plus ID. So me paying attention to the discourse for the past few years, I thought to myself, where is everyone on the left that said black people don't have IDs? Shouldn't they be calling this policy racist and saying that we are excluding all of the restaurants and gyms and so forth uh, to black people because you need Vax card plus ID and black people can't get IDs? I'm doing the math here. I didn't hear a single peep from anyone of the usual suspects. And I said, this is how you know it's a fake belief. They well, never really believed that black people can't get IDs. No, it's, it's, it's not just a fake belief. It's, if you wanted to say something's racist, you could make a much better argument that vaccine mandates are racist because the majority, at, the, at least in the beginning of the COVID vaccine rollout, the majority of the people that were refusing it were African-Americans mm -hmm. and uh, Latinos. They were right. like, we don't buy this. Especially right. when you deal with the Tuskegee crisis, when you when you hear about the times in the past where medical interventions have specifically targeted, or there's been like like evil shit that they've done specifically mm -hmm. to Black Americans, mm -hmm. and they they're suspicious. Yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, definitely. I so I I was always curious, was it 
I think in the black community in general, people are just more suspicious of the government in general. Just yes. In every possible way from dealing with the police to dealing with just court in, systems in, in, in any domain. And yeah. they did make the argument that COVID itself was systemically racist because it was, at least in the beginning, it was disproportionately killing black people. Uh, I thought this was, again, this is a very simplistic way of thinking. Yeah. I don't equate disparities with racism. But I noticed the Washington Post ran a story a few years later that maybe by 2022, COVID was disproportionately killing white people, right? Because the situations change and it's just very complicated, right? Very few things fall equally along every population in yeah. life. And I asked the question, okay, is, did systemic racism change its direction? Is, is COVID now anti-white? Well, no, the truth is that, you know, Every disease has a different racial profile in terms of who, who it affects. Hispanics, for whatever reason, no one understands it. Hispanics have the lowest maternal mortality rates, lower than white people. Nobody gets it. It, it could be any number of things. There are many cancers that uh, preferentially some kill black people more often, some kill white people more often. If you look at the CDC charts, you'll just find every disease has its own profile and rather than say, okay, this, this disease is racist because it has a disproportion, we should all back off the R word a little bit and realize that, you know, these things are very complicated, multifactorial, and to reduce it all to racism is, is just very, you know, it, we've gotten into this thing where we, all, we have a hammer and everything looks like a nail and the media knows that racism stories get clicked so everything becomes about that yeah it becomes a failure of mainstream media and that that there and what you're talking about about the need for clicks that's a huge part of this failure mm -hmm. is that they rely on people paying attention so to pay attention to a story like or in order to be incentivized it has to be something that outrages you or inferior mm -hmm. or, or scares you mm -hmm. and so those are the things that they lead with and it's it's good and it's bad. The good part is it's given rise in a major way to independent journalism. Mm -hmm. So many people have lost faith in what they deem to be corrupt, very biased, and obviously corporate-influenced mainstream media because they, they'll hide certain narratives. They'll, you know, if it's Fox News... They, they will never criticize the right. Everything is about the left. If it's CNN, everything is about the right being fools and the, the left being like the ones that are on the right side of history. It's just, it's just shitty journalism. And you know that, he, um, that, you know, comedian Ryan Long, right? Yes. You, you've probably seen his skit where he takes footage of the BLM protests and the, the, uh, police brutality videos. And he says, you know, I, I give half of them to CNN and half of them to Fox. No, what, what, is it, what do you uh, mean? He has this hilarious skit where he's, he, he, he's like to cameramen, essentially, to media organizations. Like, what do you do with that other half of the footage, right? You shouldn't just waste it. You should give it to the other side, right? So give the videos of, of, of police officers beating up protesters. You give that to CNN, and you give the videos of rioters burning down mom-and-pop shops to uh, give that to Fox, right? And he, he, it's, it's almost like an infomercial for how he doesn't waste any bit of the animal when he cooks the food, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's very funny. It's just, 
it's a failure. I mean, actual journalism should be unbiased, objective people discussing what is actually going on. And that, that is definitely not the case. And that's part of what we're running into. And, you know, when it comes to the, the COVID deaths, I mean, so many factors were never discussed. And one of the big ones that seems to affect the African-American community more than other people is vitamin D deficiencies. Mm. The reason why there's so much melanin in African-American skin is because people in Africa deal with very hot climates and direct contact to sunlight. Mm -hmm. And so they have protection from that. The reason why people became white is because they moved to areas that are covered with clouds, like mm -hmm. England. And it's, it's not a fucking coincidence that people there is pale, are pale as paper. Mm -hmm. It's because they're, they're basically a solar panel for vitamin D. Mm. Their body's trying to produce more vitamin D, and the way to do that is to produce less melanin. And my friend who was a doctor in New York City said that when he was a doctor and he would find sick people that would come to the hospital and he would test them for levels of vitamin D, he would find oftentimes undetectable levels of vitamin T in some African-Americans who weren't supplementing and weren't getting sun exposure. And he's like, it is catastrophic for your health. It's mm. catastrophic for your immune system. And none of this was ever discussed, of course, because we were there was a binary solution. Like it was this experimental MN, mRNA vaccine or nothing. Mm -hmm. And any other solution was conspiracy theory, foolishness, anything else to improve your health. Even on top of that vaccine, even saying, yes, you should get vaccinated, but also you should lose weight. Also, you should take vitamins and you should exercise and you should eat better and mm -hmm. don't drink, don't smoke. Do these things that are going to improve your overall metabolic health. There was zero of that because it wasn't journalism. It was all promoted by people who are advertising on these mainstream media platforms. And that was what it is. And that's what we're dealing with. And again, it's good and it is bad. The good thing is it's led people, I think, to have the lowest level of trust ever in mainstream media in our lifetimes. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was a recent uh, CNN ratings poll. They got like 43,000 people watching CNN, which is insane. I mean, that is like, that's like an average comedian with 100,000 followers real. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's nuts. It's nuts that this massive, major, worldwide, international news organization is getting 43,000 people watching their show. But it's because people have completely lost faith in whether or not these people are telling the truth. So I watched your RFK Jr. episode, and you know I watched the whole thing very carefully. I read his books and checked the footnotes, and you know all of the people that are you know my friends that are very smart people um, really disagreed with the fact that I liked him. So I had to do a lot of soul searching about what it is that resonated with me, but not with all of my, you know, intellectual and journalist colleagues that I tend to agree with about 90% of stuff. I really had to do some soul searching. And, you know, what I came out feeling was that it wasn't that I agreed with RFK about every claim that he made. In fact, there are certain claims that he made that I double checked that were flat out wrong. It's that I felt the version of RFK portrayed in the mainstream media 
was a totally different person from the real RFK. Right. And that there was a a framing put around him that was so obviously uh, uncharitable and bad faith. So, for example, if I told you, if, if I'm one of those people that was obsessed with getting fluoride out of the water, right, and that was my cause in life, as a journalist, what would you label me? Well. Coleman Hughes, the... Yeah, the conspiracy theorist. Or, or, or even the more neutrally. Fluoride denier. Anti-fluoride or, activist yeah, or something, yeah. right? Now, would you call me an anti-water activist? <laughs> well, of course not. That wouldn't yeah. make any sense. Right. right. If I was someone that wanted to take, like my mother's whole thing um, was she wanted to take high fructose corn syrup out of food. She was very, this was a big issue for her. Would you call her an anti-high fructose corn syrup addict as a journalist or an anti-food activist? Well, no. So RFK Jr., you know, and, and I don't think he's right about this, but just as a matter of journalistic accuracy, his whole project with vaccines has been to take stuff out of the vaccines that he thinks is toxic, right? His, his most anti-vax, quote-unquote, book is Thimerosal, Let the Science Speak. His, he's trying to take the thimerosal out of vaccines. Now, if I were describing this guy, even if I disagreed with every, every word he said as a journalist— I would call him an anti-thimerosal activist, not an anti-vaccine activist. Right. Because why would you advocate taking A out of B if you thought B was also poison? What's the point of taking poison out of poison? Right. right. So the framing of him in the mainstream media as an anti-vaccine activist, to me, seemed already like a, a, not at all the framing an objective journalist would put on the issue even if he's wrong about about the facts. And that you know that clear bias in the in the treatment of him rather than treating him like a normal politician and you know you know putting your perspective on it putting this cra- framing on him as a crazy guy as a crackpot. Mm-hmm. That seemed to me that I think that is really what rubbed me the uh, the, the wrong way about how so many people were were treating him. Well, also they don't understand his work before he became this vaccine skeptic, or this person who discussed the 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 apparent connection between some adverse events and some adverse effects and some vaccines. Mm-hmm. He started off as an environmental lawyer, and his work helped clean up the Hudson River. And there, there's a you could research it. It's like. He did amazing work, and he held corporations mm-hmm. responsible that were polluting. And th- because of his work, the Hudson River made a remarkable comeback. And then these women came to him. And they said, you are researching all these toxins and pollutants that get released in the water. I mm-hmm. want you to do this with vaccines. Mm-hmm. And they started talking to him, and, they, and this woman came to his door, and she said, I'm not leaving until you look at this. And she gave him a stack of files and documents, and he started looking at it. Started looking at the difference between ethyl mercury and mercury, uh, the, or methyl mercury and ethyl mercury. What's the difference, and mm-hmm. which ones are toxic, and why are they in the vaccines in the first place, and like why 
are the manufacturers that make vaccines not liable at all for mm-hmm. adverse effects? And so he starts doing a deep dive in this, and he finds out that it's all forbidden, right? This is all forbidden subject. If you talk about it, you'll you'll be labeled a, a vaccine denier or an anti-vaccine person, which is like the worst anti-science pejorative that someone can label on someone who wants to be taken seriously. And mm-hmm. he realizes that he has to go down this road. And I can't believe, he's like, I can't believe I have to go down this road, but I have to go down this road. And he starts researching. Then he starts talking about it openly and frankly, courageously. Mm-hmm. And there is some very bizarre, you know, correlation, not not necessary causality, right? Because it's not really being openly studied in terms of like, it's not like, it's not being discussed in mainstream media. It's not. It's not something that's being discussed uh, openly in universities and taught in schools and medical school. But mm. th- there seems to be a very a rise in adverse effects and all sorts of issues that people are having once they started adding more vaccines to the rollout, which also happened right after they made these vaccines and the companies that manufacture them no longer liable for any adverse effects. Mm-hmm. And. It's sketchy stuff because you can't talk about it. And whenever there's something that you can't talk about, it gets real weird because you can't just look at it and say, okay, what is actually going on objectively? Let's not signal to everyone that I'm on the side of science and I'm on the side of reason and I'm I'm on the side of, you know, uh, the what's best for the the whole world. Let, let's just look at what is actually happening. And no one wants to do that mm-hmm. because if you even just start dipping your toes in those waters, people are like, wait, what are you saying? I are, think are I, you a vaccine skeptic? Are you a right. vaccine denier? Are you right. anti-vax? Right. Which is not something that he's he's like, I've been vaccinated. My whole family's been vaccinated. This is not what I'm saying. Yeah. What I'm saying is there are proven effects that mercury and aluminum have on human beings, particularly in their developmental stage, that seem to be detrimental. Mm -hmm. So why aren't we looking at this? Mm -hmm. I think what happens when the experts, the real experts, abandon a line of inquiry because it becomes taboo, because everyone's blood blood pressure rises when the topic comes up and we have that caveman instinct that we may get socially ostracized for something right that's a big one totally when that happens the experts abandon a line of inquiry the non-experts are going to come in and do the job and they're going to do it non-expertly by definition right so that's what i feel has happened around the conversation with vaccines it's that the experts have been so so dismissive of any skepticism right Yes. Which generally skepticism is, is a good thing. It's You're taught to be a skeptic, right? But the word is pejorative in this case. And rather than really um, compassionately going into the evidence and saying, I'm going to go all the way down the rabbit hole with you. And as an expert, I'm not going to talk down to you, but I'm going to explain to you what I may know that you don't. And I'm going to go into it with an open mind, knowing that some vaccines have turned out to be unnecessary in the past. Some vaccines have caused damage in the past. Rather than make the whole area taboo and just making everyone feel like a non-person who's there, the, the best experts should shine a light on it. Really, they should shine a light on it. And then someone, people wouldn't be necessarily running to a lawyer, an environmental lawyer, for their, their narratives about is, uh, this issue. 
And I think that that's what happens when the expert class abandons a particular line of inquiry. Unquestionably. Yeah, that's a very good point. And then there's also the revolving door mm-hmm. between the FDA and pharmaceutical companies. Which no one denies that. No one denies. Y- yeah. You cannot. No. It's, it's, there's clear incentives that are in place just based on the past, just based on the fact that people have been able to parlay these jobs, mm-hmm. go from being a part of the FDA to being a part of Pfizer mm-hmm. and being a part of all these other pharmaceutical drug companies. So I don't know if he, know, if he mentioned this specifically on your podcast, but... I looked into this uh, because of his book and and talked about it on some other podcasts. He, uh, you know, the around 2000, the RotaShield, the rotavirus vaccine. Seven of the 13 people responsible for uh, approving that vaccine at the CDC and the, the FDA, seven of 13, so so a majority, were had direct financial ties to companies that were producing that exact kind of vaccine right at the time. Yeah. So you have to think to yourself. Common sense. This, that's insane. That can't be how the system should work. Without doubt. Congress looked into it, and they reported on this. They said, this is a, this is a disaster. They had to recall the vaccine, by the way, uh, because it was causing intussusception in, in uh, infants. And we've sort of been assured that they've cleaned up their act since then. And that seems to be the narrative that they've cleaned up their act. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure there was some panic and ch- there was changing of policies, right? But as a journalist, uh, our job is not to trust the government. Our, our, our job is to verify. And the, the status quo, I looked into it recently, is that the CDC and the FDA, they're still allowed to appoint members of those panels who have conflicts of interest, so long as they're below a certain bar of, of conflict of interest. Now, who determines where the bar is? They determine where the bar is. And they're not required by law at all to report their deliberations publicly. So as, as an objective outsider, I would like to believe, I would like to believe that CDC and FDA, I don't think they're evil people. I don't think they're lizard people. I think they're whatever. I would like to believe that they're making good decisions. But as a journalist, you have to be able to verify it or else why should I trust? Yes. So if they're self-policing and not required to report, I think people should be, this is, this is my problem. When Rand Paul is, is aggressively pressing Fauci about conflicts of interest in Congress, journalists should be like, this guy's doing our job. We're supposed to be doing this. Instead, they label him as, as some kind of bad person. Journalists are supposed to aggressively police the government and when you don't do that, you end up getting, uh, yeah, you get, get getting people doing the job for you, and they may not do it perfectly, and they may overstep. But shouldn't the shouldn't the response be, how come mainstream journalism isn't pressing Fauci like that? We should have done it, and we should have done it ten times harder and more precisely than Rand Paul did it, right? That that should be the response, not right. Rand Paul is a conspiracy theorist. Well, the problem is money. The problem is. When you look at the incredible amount of money that the pharmaceutical drug companies spend on advertising, they essentially have control of the narrative. Whether people are directly told not to discuss these things, it is most certainly on the table that they know that there'll be repercussions. And mm-hmm. so they don't, they don't report on them. Look, if you look at the Purdue Pharma crisis, have you seen the uh, Netflix documentary uh, Painkiller? 
I saw well, it's, the, uh, I, not a documentary. It's like a docudrama series. I saw the Hulu version. I had, I didn't see that one. That's dope yeah. sick, right? Yeah, I heard that one's yeah. excellent too. It was great. But when they show how it's captured by money, and when they show that they clearly knew that this was it's an opiate and they are addictive and yet they somehow or another use the language many believe or some believe what was the exact wording some believe is not addictive like who Mm -hmm. the fuck uses that for something that's going to be prescribed to millions of people that's insanity Mm -hmm. and it turns out oh my god it's very addictive oh my god it caused a a massive opiate crisis that didn't exist anywhere else in the world Mm -hmm. the united states had this opioid crisis that there, it was unparalleled. There was nothing like it anywhere else in the world. And it was directly because of the influence that these massive companies had, the amount of money they were spreading around, mm-hmm. the revolving door between the FDA and these pharmaceutical drug companies, and the repercussions on millions of Americans. Who knows how many people died of overdoses? Who who knows how many families were wrecked? How many lives were lost, just destroyed by addiction from something that was prescribed to them as being safe and effective by doctors? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's insane. I I I know a few months ago the city of San Francisco, uh, I believe, won a lawsuit against Walgreens for it might have been hundreds of millions. I can check exactly, and in. In the report, in the uh, discovery for the lawsuit, they were just talking about the sheer number of doctors who were found to be corruptly prescribing. It wasn't like one or two doctors. It was it was a number that was so high that I, it, that, I that I remember thinking. I mean, how, how can how can a person that reads this really trust their doctor after reading this? Right. Yeah. Um, it's, well, you have to have a good doctor. Unfortunately, most doctors are captured as well, in, yeah. in, including researchers. And that's one of the things. We, did you read uh, RFK Jr.'s book, The Real Anthony Fauci? Yeah, I did. I did. What did you think of that book? Uh, so my view of that book is is that I don't, I don't jump to – RFK basically puts the worst possible interpretation of everything Fauci did kind of in the same way that Christopher Hitchens did with Bill Clinton, for example. When, when, Christopher Hitch, when, when Bill Clinton bombed the Al-Shifa factory in Sudan that was said to have weapons, turned out to have medicine, turned out to have no link to Al-Qaeda, Hitchens wrote that he did this to distract the public from the Monica Lewinsky scandal. Now, that's possible. I can't rule it out. Not saying it's something he wouldn't do, but without direct evidence for it, I, my bar is that I don't jump to the worst motives. That's not how I tend to think. Well, I appreciate that about you. Yeah. And you are incredibly reasonable and objective in that regard. And that is that is important. And Hitchens, in a, he was brilliant, but he was also angry. And he he did like to throw he, rocks. Mother Teresa. Yes. Henry Kissinger. Yes. Gandhi. Yes. He wasn't factually wrong about any of his journalism about them but he when there's there's often just uncertainty about why people do things and a certain type of person jumps to the the evil end of the uncertainty i feel i'm kind of more in the middle so fauci made tons did tons of horrible um public statements later found to be false and of course 
I think we all, everyone would admit now that he suppressed lab leak for self-interested reasons, him and him and Francis Collins. But I think RFK, he strings together every mistake and assumes the worst end of that spectrum, which could be right. But it's not something, I don't like making those accusations without like uh, flaming gun evidence. Yes, and there's recent ones that people are talking about now that this was from the Defense Department and that this was, that COVID was a bioweapon. Well, you know, a bioweapon that accidentally got released. Like, do you have, uh, would that hold up in court? Like, do you have enough evidence to say that publicly? And and is it irresponsible to say that publicly? Because what, like, my take on it from clearly, obviously a non-scientist, is if I was a researcher and my education was in viruses, and specifically coronaviruses. I would be looking to do research on coronaviruses. And gain-of-function research is one way, whether it's dangerous or not, in the Obama administration. Obama outlawed it. He stopped it in Mm -hmm. 2014, right? Yeah. It's sketchy work, because what you're doing is you're making viruses worse. Mm -hmm. But are you doing it specifically to release them on people, or are you doing it to understand the viruses? I think scientists do stuff because it's super cool to them. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Put yourself in the mindset of a scientist. They love this, right? Like, this is their whole life. Right. If you tell them there's some new cool thing, we can now make viruses work. We can insert specific strings of code into viruses that make them uh, easily... uh, acquired by humanized mice. I mean, this is like this, this is like giving a kid Legos, right? Yes. So they they don't have a bad bone in their body, but if it can be done, they will do it because it's cool, and they will justify it to get funding. They have to justify it in terms of a public yes. health rationale. The truth is, they're nerds and they want to do it because it's cool, and I don't blame them. But <laughs> the government's responsibility is to say that is over the line. That is likely to leak, given how common lab leaks are we cannot be intentionally making viruses more deadly have you ever been to one of those labs i've been in a bsl3 lab i've been in a lab of the same security as the one in wuhan i went to and i had no clearance to be in there by the way i had no clearance to be in how'd you get in there girl i was dating at the time was working in there she wanted to show me the mice that's so crazy at columbia university (sighs) but this goes to show you this is why when i read that they were tweaking with coronaviruses in a BSL-3 lab. Oh, BSL-3 is very high, must be very high security. I was like, no, no, I just walked into one like a few weeks with ago. With your girlfriend? Yeah, because she, because no, look, no lab, every lab is as secure as oh, the people that work there. It's 100%. just people. It's human beings. And they get tired. Yes. If you're t- you got two, on two hours of sleep, you forget to put your gloves on today. It's like. That's the story of every horror movie, right? It's a story of like, what is that, 28 days later? They're working uh, I don't, on I don't some virus. Movies. Oh, you don't? No, I can't handle them. Ah, it's like 28 Days Later is an amazing mm. one. It's the best zombie movie of all time. And it's it's a lab leak. Mm. It turns people into these ferocious things, mm-hmm. which, by the way, happens in nature. What do you think rabies is? Like, what is rabies? Rabies is a disease that affects animals that makes them fearless and aggressive and makes them want to transmit that disease mm-hmm. to you by biting you. And if you give it to human beings, it's like 100% fatal or 99% fatal, unless you take care of it like within a certain time period. And with animals, it's fatal. And you know they have to get rabies shots. It's one, one excellent example of how vaccines have really helped people. Mm-hmm. Vaccines have helped human beings 
Avoid getting fucking rabies. Mm -hmm. You know, rabies is scary. Rabies is essentially a real zombie virus. Because mm. it turns, you ever seen an animal that has rabies? They, they, they just have no fear of you. They just want to mm. come after you and bite you like a fucking zombie. The, so that it's like if I was a guy who was researching rabies, I would go, how, how do we make this even crazier? <laughs> <laughs> how do we turn this into someone who like no longer needs oxygen and mm -hmm. can just fucking exist in a zombie state? Mm -hmm. You don't need blood pumping through your muscles anymore. Now this parasite has taken over your body, which exists with cordyceps mushrooms. Mm. Have you ever seen that? No. Cordyceps mushrooms infect ants. And they get into the ant's body, and ants recognize this and know that this thing is going to grow mushrooms. So the ants carry this other ant out of town. They get him the fuck out of town. So before the cordyceps mushrooms blow and the spores spray That's through amazing. the air and infect all the other ants, these ants recognize, oh, this motherfucker's got it. We got to get him out of here. <laughs> and they'll carry him way the fuck out of town. Like there's some sort of memory or some mm. knowledge or understanding of the danger of this specific fungus mm. that's growing on this dead ant. That's and amazing. Like, we got to get him the fuck out of here. Evolution and is amazing. It's amazing. There's another one where there's an aquatic worm that grows inside grasshoppers and convinces the grasshopper to commit suicide. It rewires the grasshopper's mind and commi commits it to jumping into water so that it can be born. So it comes out of the body of this grasshopper that's drowning and, and begins its life. <laughs> Dude, there's a ton of those. There's another one yeah. called toxoplasmosis. Yeah, yeah, the reason that, why that they tell women of. to stop, you can't touch cat litter. Because some insane amount of feral cats have toxoplasmosis, like probably all of them. Speaking of grasshoppers, I know for most of my life I didn't know that grasshoppers and locusts were the same thing. I didn't either until a few years ago when we were yeah. looking at swarms. Yeah. Like, uh, what they call it? When, when the, the Great Plains, when that was happening, mm -hmm. like when people lost all their crops. And mm -hmm. it's like a numbers thing, right? Or, or home, yeah, some they, hormonal switch. They get into some mode. Yeah. Well, that they... exists in mammals too, man. It mm. exists in pigs. With pigs, when they let a pig loose, like you see a cute little pig that you, mm -hmm. you, know, you see, oh, he's so sweet. You let that motherfucker loose, he will become a wild boar. And it, it happens quickly. I believe it happens, the, the, the metamorphosis starts to take place within like six weeks or something. See if you can find that. But what happens is the, a body sends a signal to the, the, or the mind sends a signal to the body or some, some, the system knows that you're on your own now, motherfucker. So your whole body changes. Mm. Your snout extends. The males grow tusks, they get furry, thicker hair. They literally become a wild boar. We, I used to think a wild boar was a different right. thing. No, right. it's the same thing. Wow. It's one genus, it's Suscrofa. It's one specific animal. <laughs> if you domesticate it, 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 it's cute and it's babe, it's the pig. If you don't, it's this fucking plague of mammals that can have three litters a year, starts having a litter when it's six months old. Within a couple of years, they're 200 pounds, and they eat constantly. And all they do is eat and fuck and make more pigs. And they're smart. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> like, so we know that. We know these things are fucking dangerous, and mm -hmm. if we're monkeying around with nature, but also we know that there have been medical interventions. There's been, there's been medical technology. There's been 
research that's done that's enhanced people's lives, saved people's lives, rescued people from fatal diseases, and to cast light on the entire pharmaceutical industry that it's like this horrible monster of a thing that's destroying lives. No, 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 no. What it is is a bunch of people that are, like you're saying, scientists who figure things out because it's cool, and they get married to people who just want to make money. Mm -hmm. And so they're stock market psychos, yeah. and there's a lot of psychos out there. Yeah. And the psychos say, okay, we got this thing, and we're making X, but I think we can get to Z. We just got to get this guy to say this and this regulation to pass, and then we're in Z. And this guy is thinking himself doing coke off a stripper's ass on a yacht. That's what he's thinking of. He's not <laughs> thinking of saving the world. Right. But the scientists that are making all this stuff, they're just fucking scientists. Yeah. And part of the problem with getting the money attached to the regulatory body and attached to the scientists is because then there's someone who doles out the funding. And maybe that guy is connected to the money side. And maybe that guy was actually a doctor. And now you've got this crazy situation where these doctors can't even tell the truth. The mm -hmm. scientists can't tell the truth. They can't talk openly about the, the reservations that they have about some of these specific types of research that they're doing. Like, hey, should we be doing this? Right. They can't say anything. They can't because they're connected. to the. And if they get ostracized from that system, they're fucked. Their career is fucked. Mm -hmm. There's no recourse. They don't have anything to fall back on. Yeah. So we've got a system much like our governmental system. With much like our media, that's captured by money. And it's not that the journalists are bad people. It's just that's the fucking game they're playing. That's the game they're playing. Well, I think that the journalists, most of the journalists I know aren't necessarily captured themselves by money, but they may be captured by ideology and groupthink. Yes, there's a lot of that, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but so, for example, on the money end, I was uh, I was astounded that it was not widely reported and that you have to get to someone like RFK Jr. to tell you this, that the NIAID had a financial stake in the Moderna vaccine. In yeah, other words, how much money did they make off of it? Uh, one of the payments was like several hundred million dollars. That was one lump Well, that's sum not payment. enough to affect the way people think. That's not think enough. So? No, that's not enough to affect the way. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell. Sorry. I was like, what the I fuck? I couldn't help myself. It's just I so crazy. One, that hundreds one of millions of dollars. It was like 400 million. Oh, that's not that um, much. That's not that much. <laughs> that's just a, you know, it's just a little taste. Right. So when I see the director of the NIEID, Anthony Fauci, former, former director, talk about the Moderna vaccine, should, as a journalist, should my default be to trust everything he says because he's the government? Or should I say, he may be conflicted. Let's, let's do what great journalism does and pressure test everything he says. Yeah. Demand the documents on everything he says. And what he says may, may turn out to be right. I don't assume it's wrong. Right. But, but that should be the job of mainstream journalists is to pressure test everything. When you don't do it, my point is, it's left to the RFK juniors of the world who end up getting certain things very wrong because they're That's one person. Right. It's not what they do. And and so, for example, there was, there were, uh, like I told you, I was really going through all the claims in RFK Jr.'s book because some of them are just inc insane, turn out to be true. Some of them are insane, turn out not to be true. What did you find that wasn't true? So, for example, he said that, he cited a study, he said that the, uh, the, uh, diphtheria, uh, the DTP vaccine in the 1970s hurt or killed one out of 300 kids. So I clicked on the study. I read every single sentence of the study twice down 
there was nothing in there that said one one in three hundred. What or, did, or what was the that. data that they gave? It didn't it it didn't even give a clear number, and the numbers you could piece together were orders of magnitude smaller than that. Mm. And I was I, I was surprised to find that. Is that due to a lack of data? Like, is, like there's an assumption that the VAR system is grossly underreported. Correct? Yeah. Yeah, there's a some, but you know, yes. Is that an assumption? Is think, that proven? I, I, is that I think so. I think that, that I think that checks out. But with this claim, he was citing a specific study, and right. he put it right there, and it just wasn't in the study, right? Right. So you have so to that's use sloppiness. the actual that, data that's that in happens. the study, right? That, so that if, happens. if you're saying a study showed that, yes, or if you're just saying if you're just saying the number and not saying where you're getting this information, then it's he you, you really should every single one of his claims. This is why. I thought it was such a cop out that that guy you were in a little Twitter spat with. Oh, Peter Hotez. Yeah, Peter Hotez. If you if you're an expert on this, and you have this guy that you're saying every, total misinformation. Yeah. He's got every single one of the claims he made on your show in one of his books with a footnote. Peter Hotez, if this is his job and this is important to him, should absolutely spend the time. What could be more important? Right. If you're saying that I'm an expert in this and this guy is dangerous for the world, you can't then say, well, I don't have time to go in his book and click on every footnote and show showing receipts for why he's wrong about everything. That yeah. was a total cop out of him to say, oh, this is not worth my time. You can't debate a conspiracy theorist. I don't think any of that is true. Well, I think he's very anxious. And, you know, let me tell you my history with Peter Hotez, because I met Peter Hotez in like 2012. I had him on an episode of uh, Joe Rogan Questions Everything, and we were talking about viruses. And I found him to be a really fascinating, very intelligent man who's dedicated his life to trying to help people, specifically of tropical diseases. Because mm -hmm. there's a real issue in tropical disease. He was telling me that people that live in tropical climates, like the vast majority of them have some kind of parasites. Mm. You know, which is yeah. just... You know, and and what he wanted to talk about was that I think when COVID came along, there was this psychological angst that was overwhelming, even to people that are fairly good at keeping their shit together. Like, I think of myself as someone who's pretty good at keeping my shit together. I don't freak out too much about things. And so with COVID, I was like, all right, well, I guess this is a real thing and we're going to have to, you know hole up in the house for a while and mm -hmm. two weeks to flatten the curve and make sure we have food and power. He started thinking about things like, okay, if I needed to get food for my family, if I needed to get out of here, how much gas do I need? Like there's a real, there's a real air. There's a feeling in the air mm -hmm. where like, okay, we're in an unprecedented state of the unknown and chaos and this could get worse. Like this virus could mutate into something that's just killing everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, there, that level of anxiety prompts people to look for solutions that are very binary. And it prompts people to dig their heels into what their decision is to do this. Like, should we go into the basement in the horror movie or should we get the fuck out of here? I think we should get the fuck out of here. Let's go in the, we've got to go in the basement. We've got to go in the basement. There's these decisions that people make in these traumatic situations. Like, mm. do we hide? Do we run? Mm. What do we do? And when they have a decision that they've made, like the decision, there's only one decision. 
This decision is this. We have to take this one vaccine. That's the only thing that we can do. And everybody starts thinking, okay, well, we find we have a solution. And everybody that's opposed to that, you're fucking it up. You're fucking it up for everybody. And I think that was the feeling in the air. And I certainly felt that when I when CNN was saying I was taking horse dewormer, mm. like when I was being attacked for taking out, when I said that I was taking monoclonal antibodies and IV vitamins, all these other things too. Mm. I was just saying, this is what I took and now I'm better. Thank mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Can't, I got to cancel my shows. That's all it was. Mm-hmm. It wasn't some political declaration or some anti, anti-vaccine. It was just, the, there was a reality of what I took. I told everybody what I took. But there's this feeling from everybody, you're fucking this up. You're going to make sure people don't do it. Because people wanted to believe that there was a way out of this that was very binary, very simple. This is, the, this is our solution. Everybody get on board. Everybody who's not on board is ruining it for the world. And you saw the fucking cruel way people would talk. People who would think of themselves as compassionate, progressive people, right? Progressives, left-wing people. Would would wrote the worst thing about unvaccinated people dying because they didn't trust pharmaceutical drug companies mm-hmm. that are captured by money and the media that is captured by them, their money and the regulatory com- the, the fact that people were just unwilling to look at the big picture because they wanted that fucking solution. And I think when you're a person who's on the side of that solution and you're genuinely doing work to try to solve real problems that people have with parasites and diseases and all these different things, mm. and then you're getting attacked. And then, and then it turns out that, man, maybe a lot of the shit you said wasn't right. Mm. Now you're kind of stuck because you don't want to debate this. Because even though you probably did it for all the right reasons, you look at the actual effectiveness and whether or not it actually did what it was pro- what was promised to do. It didn't do any of those things. And it, it did certainly cause some adverse problems in people that may or may not have had any problem with COVID. They might have gotten over it quickly like I did. Mm-hmm. So now you're fucked. Now you're fucked. And now you're in this situation where you kind of have to defend it all the time. And to go on a debate and talk about that, would you would you would be so filled with anxiety because it... it brings us back to what this, the decisions that people make during tri- times of extreme crisis. We always want to think that the, the evil things that people have done in the past, false flag events and all these different things that people have done in the past in order to start wars so that they can make more money. We want to think that that stops. Like, oh, we don't do that anymore. We don't do that anymore. It's a childlike impulse that I personally experienced when I was a young boy. When I was a young boy, I w- we were living in San Francisco, and my mom and my stepdad were hippies. And we lived in this, like, very progressive, very, like, hippie area. And when the Vietnam War ended, everybody was so happy. And there was this feeling. And I said to myself, I remember saying, oh, this is so good. There's not going to be any wars. They figured out the wars are bad. I remember thinking mm. this when I, I guess I was, like, 10 or 11 or something mm. like that, going, okay, there's no more war. Thank God. Because like, I don't want to go to war. End, and, of, end of history fallacy. Yeah, my stepdad, yeah. He, he didn't get drafted. He got lucky. But I knew people that went. And I knew mm. people that went and came back and they were fucked up. And I was terrified as a, a young boy. Terrified of being forced to go to war. Because that was the reality of the time. And you think that, well, well that doesn't happen anymore. You know, that all that, you know, Gulf of Tonkin shit and all the... And that doesn't, they don't do that anymore. They don't do that anymore. They don't do that anymore. That's like people figured that out. Mm-hmm. They don't. So have you been paying attention to Israel? 
I've been paying attention. Yeah. Yeah, I have to. How could you not be? Yeah. Yeah. It's terrifying. It's yeah. very terrifying. It's very, very scary stuff. What is your view on it? <sighs> I wish I knew. Well, first of all, I wish I knew how they didn't know that those people are going to do that. Because okay, I don't want to so... talk about intelligence because I, I don't know what I'm talking about. So if I start saying that the, you know, the, the government, like, that they would have had the capability of, to make sure that none of those things took place and that they had infiltrated these organizations and they did get accurate information from that and they were I don't I have that would just be complete armchair speculation from someone who's not So qualified. I can I can give you what the leading theory is of how the hell this happened. Okay, please do. Right now uh the 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 belief is that and I think we'll know more about this in a few years that a few things happen all at the same time. is a perfect storm. First, Hamas has been planning this attack for two years, and a, uh, one of the leaders of Hamas actually said that they've been strategically lulling Israel to sleep by making it seem like they're no longer interested in a conflict the past two years. And Israel, even just a week before the attack, allowed more uh, Gazans to come over the border and work in Israel as basically a, a reward for good behavior, right? They thought Hamas has gone into this mode where they're more concerned about the economics of the Gaza Strip than about attacking Israel. So Israel was asleep at the wheel. Israel also had transferred a lot of IDF that would normally be at the Gaza border to the West Bank. It was also the Sabbath. It was also a major holiday. It was. It's also, they, they've had the biggest protests in in a generation, almost the same way America was during 2020, Israel has been for the past several months over their judicial reform. So you put it all together. Can you can you go into that a little bit, please? Yeah. So basically the judicial reform in Israel, Israel is not like the United States. They don't have a constitution. They don't have this kind of really beautiful genius system of checks and balances that we have where, you know, president can veto Congress and the Supreme Court has a check on everyone, right? And everyone keeps each other in check. Israel just has a single parliament they call the Knesset, a prime minister that has a lot of control over that parliament because he leads the majority coalition. So basically in Israel, the president and their Congress have a lot more power than in America, historically. The Supreme Court doesn't have the power to say no to them. But over the past 30 years, the Supreme Court has been basically grabbing more power for, for itself under the, these things called basic laws, where they can now say to the Knesset, no, you cannot uh, implement that policy in the West Bank. It violates human rights. They, can, they, can be, they have more powers to check the majority party. And that's come to a head now because the Supreme Court is perceived as left-wing and sympathetic to the Palestinians. Just like in America right now, the Supreme Court is perceived as right-wing. And the uh, Be Benjamin Netanyahu is obviously Likud, he's the right-wing party, and he's gone into coalition with these ultra kind of right-wing religious. Um, and, and so it's come to a head where basically the right in Israel feels the Supreme Court is just expanding its own power and is anti-democratic. And now they want to 
judicial reform is basically stripping the Supreme Court of the power it's grabbed for itself over the past 30 years. Now, the left in Israel views the Supreme Court as the only protection against human rights violations and the violations of minority rights. So the left is feels the Supreme Court is a great defender of Israeli human rights. And the right feels that the Supreme Court is an undemocratic institution that's been expanding its own power for 30 years and now needs to be reined in so that the majority can govern. That's torn apart the country. It's absolutely the number one issue every day, protests all over Israel. So you put all this together with Hamas uh, backed by Iran, and you, and you, you also throw in the fact that Israel and Saudi Arabia are on the verge of a peace deal, which is huge. It, it would be the biggest news in, in the Middle East in a, in a very long time if Israel and Saudi Arabia made peace. It would basically put um, kind of the, the death nail in the coffin for, for Hamas because Saudi Arabia is the biggest holdout now in terms of who has not made peace with Israel. So Hamas, from the point of view of, of Hamas and Iran, they think this is a, this is a last chance kind of. We have to attack now, kill this deal, or uh, we're dead forever. And they plan this thing meticulously for, for two years, intentionally lulling the Israelis to sleep. And um, they, they have brilliant success, much more success than they expected to. Now, some people have said it's an inside job. I don't believe it is. I think if it is, we'll know that from reporting um, that comes out in the next two years. But at this point, I believe the theory that it was an incredibly successful attack by Hamas and a perfect storm. Well, that all connects and makes sense, if that's the case. What's terrifying is there doesn't seem, what, what's always terrified me about the Middle East is that there doesn't seem to be a clear way to resolve this. I mean, if Saudi Arabia and Iran, or, or uh, rather uh, Israel, came to some sort of an agreement and made peace and, and were able to establish that long term, That'd be a great step in the right direction. But other than that, like when you look at what's happened now, oh my God, the rhetoric from both sides, it's, it's just, didn't we learn anything from World War II? Didn't we learn anything from the Holocaust? Didn't we learn anything from human beings' ability to other human beings, to just turn them into a thing that's not them, mm -hmm. dehumanize them, and that there's this impulse to do so? that existed forever because when we were tribal people that probably barely had a language, you had to be absolutely terrified of marauding male tribes that came over your border and wanted to kill you and take your resources and steal your women because that's what they did. And so we have this ability to look at other human beings as an other and get ruthless and horrifyingly violent because that was the only way for us to survive for thousands of years. So it's ingrained in our system. But it's, it's now it exists in the context of global war. And it, and it exists in a time where you can manipulate media and spread false narratives and governments are allowed to use propaganda. They're allowed to lie to people it's, if it's for the overall better good of the nation. It's wild. And, and that's the root of the issue. The root of the issue is how every human being sort of reluctantly admits 
that there's almost no way to stop all wars. Right now, if you, if you had a magic solution to stop all wars in the world, what would it be? It doesn't exist. That's terrifying. Because the thing that we are scared of the most is global thermonuclear war. The thing that everybody should be the most terrified of. That we get so stupid that we wipe every human being off the face of the planet and we're more than capable of doing it some insane number of times over. Mm -hmm. And that they're playing with the very first steps of that game. They've moved the first pawn out onto the chessboard of the global thermonuclear war chess game. That is Ooh. fuck Who the is world. That? Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. Every single nation okay. that's so, involved in any, every conflict and every, all these people controlling resources over a group of gigantic people with their mm -hmm. their representative and they're saying these people are the bad people and they're saying you're the bad people. That's it's just like human beings have always done. It's a, like literally a part of our system. So I I agree with you that we are built and hardwired for deep levels of violence we we those of us that have been lucky enough to live in safety and security we may not realize the violence we're capable of because we've never had to survive right that, right but i do believe that there is a difference you mentioned the lessons of world war ii right we were capable of violence hitler was capable of violence but we were not the same as hitler right there was a, an imperative for us to defeat him at almost any cost, and we did horrible things in that war. But people understand that there was a good side and there was an evil side. Yes. Now, I don't know if you or most of your listeners feel this way about Israel, but I do. I think that in this situation, Israel is the good guy and Hamas is the evil guy. I think some people feel Hamas is just... Uh, acting like anyone would if you had taken their land and their, their freedom fighters that go a little bit overboard. I don't think that's what they are. I think they are a death cult that really believes what they write in their charter in the late 80s, that they want to annihilate every single Jew in Israel and replace it with an Islamic state and eventually have a state like ISIS. And that what they did on October 7th with the, you know, the, the barbaric slaughter, that, that's the point for them. That is what they want to do to all of Israel. And the difference is that Israel, uh, though, though like the American army, it's just like there's been many excesses, uh, much to criticize. If Israel wanted to annihilate Hamas and the Palestinians, the same way Hamas wanted, wants to annihilate Israel, Hamas would be gone and there would be no Palestinians in Gaza. We know that Israel could obliterate them overnight. Why don't they? Well, for mixed reasons, but because they don't want to. They want to live in peace fundamentally. And so I don't think the two sides are equivalent here, though they're both capable of that, that universal among humans, which is cruelty. I don't think these two sides are the same. I really think this is a situation where there is a good guy and a bad guy. What solution could possibly be created that would somehow or another calm this down at this point? After that attack, it's so horrifying. But then the response is horrifying too, where who knows how many civilians have died 
in Gaza. Yeah. The, uh, so we're terrified of both. And then there's this narrative that, what was the thing with the hospital? Oh, yeah. So this has been going on the past 48 hours. Basically, what happened what happened is the entire media, the, the Gaza Health Ministry, which is run by Hamas, said that Israel just bombed a hospital and killed 500 people. The entire media ran with this story. New York Times, BBC, everyone said 500 killed in Israeli airstrike on hospital. And obviously this is monstrous if so, right? This is, why would Israel bomb a hospital? Israel is known to have at least a policy of not bombing hospitals because Israel feels that it wants to generally respect what a war crime is, right? That's the policy at least. So this, this went viral. Uh, then it turned out, actually, most likely, it, it actually turned out 100% the hospital wasn't bombed. It was the parking lot next to the hospital. So that was the first ina inaccuracy in the story. Then it turned out it's very, very unlikely to be an Israeli airstrike and was almost certainly not a Hamas rocket, but a Palestinian Islamic Jihad. This is the other Palestinian terror group in Gaza. They launched a bunch of rockets. One of them was a dud and landed in the hospital parking lot. And, uh, and this is on video. Al Jazeera showed the video by accident, uh, and, and that's, how it, that's how it's part of how it's been confirmed. What do you mean by accident? So they were, they were showing this in real time. I think it happened at like 6.59 exactly. It's either 6.49 or 6.59. They were showing live footage of, uh, or, or footage they had, they had just taken of, of a bunch of rockets leaving the Gaza Strip to go to Israel. And one of the rockets, you could see it was, it was screwy. It kind of blew up and then you see a big explosion in Gaza mm. right at that time. Turns out that's the exact time the hospital allegedly blew up. So that's how they knew it was a rocket from inside, an accidental rocket from inside Gaza rather than the Israelis airstriking it. Mm. So then all the New York Times, BBC, they all started slowly changing their headlines to from 500 killed in Israeli airstrike to 500 killed in blast to, you know, at, at this point, they may be saying parking lot next to hospital killed only 50 to 100 people. This is still an evolving story, and we're, we're talking on, on Thursday. So by the so time it didn't this actually episode, hit the hospital itself. It hit the parking lot next to the hospital and did damage to the hospital? The latest is that it, the hospital is still standing, and it was only the parking lot next to the hospital, and all, a bunch of cars may have exploded as well. So that's the latest. Because they have pictures now. The next day they took pictures and the hospital's there. I thought they had the photos of the hospital that was bombed out. The New York Times, when they reported it first, they showed a picture of a different place in Gaza that was destroyed oh by an God. Israeli airstrike, not the hospital. Oh, my God. Yeah. So this is, uh, this is n now, you know, I, I think there's an emerging consensus that it was a parking lot probably not 500 people, probably more like 50 or 100, which is, again, tragic. Every life is tragic. But that basically the legacy media took Hamas's word as, as fact and then has had to backpedal. Did you see the Babylon Bees uh, joke about that? What did they say? See, see if we can find it, Babylon Bees. I can't, still can't say X. X page. Yeah, I know. Still I'm, Twitter. I'm, I'm right at that point where I'm transitioning to saying X without saying former Twitter. I just keep saying Twitter. It's Twitter. 
you know. Sorry, Elon. <laughs> he really has an obsession with X. Well, also, he? it's he like, are you sending letter. an X or are you sending a tweet? You know, it's, everyone says he yeah. tweeted. Yeah. You don't say he X'd. <laughs> it just doesn't sound right. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. But he can do whatever the fuck he wants. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so what What was the Babylon Bees? I don't, wait, about what? The Babylon Bees uh, had a funny thing about the New York Times and Hamas. Two hours ago? But, uh, I don't know. I saw it on my Instagram earlier today when I was embarrassed to be looking at my Instagram. Why embarrassed? I'm tired of it. I just, yeah. I, I, I can stop being connected. My new phone has no uh, apps on it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, this New is... York Times patiently awaiting Zoom call from Hamas to see what they should print today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is, this is about the hospital. Yeah. That is the Babylon Bee. Thank God they exist. Because, oh, yeah, like, they, they, disprove the idea that it's only left-wing people that are funny. Yeah. That is yeah, yeah. not true. The yeah. Babylon Bee is, they out onion the onion often. Yeah. They're amazing. They're much I better love the than onion. the onion. onion used to be great. Still is good. They still knock it out of the park every yeah. now and again. But, yeah. you know, they're young, progressive mm -hmm. liberals constrained by a certain ideology that doesn't allow them to poke fun at certain things. You know how much fun they could have, like the trans issue. They, oh, they can't sure. touch it. They yeah. can't touch it. Yeah, yeah. Rachel Levy. They can't touch it. Leave yeah. it alone. Get out yeah. of there. It's too hot. But you asked. You asked earlier. What is the solution to this? Yes. Look, I mean, we're not going to solve the Middle East here. But if if I'm Israel, right now, I, I'm not. I'm, I'm thinking, we have to destroy Hamas the same way when we were bombed during Pearl Harbor. Nobody thought, well, what's the diplomatic solution to Japan? We thought, these people want to destroy us. We have to destroy them, right? There, there are some situations that can be resolved at the negotiating table, but there are others that have to be resolved through war because one side is committed to the destruction of the other. And it can only, you can only get to the negotiating table when, you, when, you have, uh, when you've retaliated militarily, you know? Yeah. That's terrifying. That's a terrifying thought. Um, what do you think of all, like, what was the latest pro-Hamas, uh, pro-Palestine protest? There's been so mm. many of them. Yeah, they're that are, all over. They had to shut down Columbia University, my yeah. alma mater. Um, there, there's been a lot of them, yeah. And what is their, what are they saying? Like, what is their main perspective on this? Their main perspective is that Israelis are colonizers in the Middle East, uh, that, that Israelis are not the indigenous people, it's settler colonialism, and that resistance is justified and that we ought to side with the resistance. We ought to side with the resistance even when they go overboard. That's their basic perspective Going in a nutshell. Overboard. That is a crazy way to justify Shooting. Paratrooping into yeah. a rave and just murdering people. Yeah, execution style and it's and rape and murder and torture and killing kids and yeah. explosions and I was reading about these parents who were trying to find their son. They were hoping their son was still alive, but that he had gotten his arm shot off by a machine gun. He was in a a, a bunker and then he was captured. He was in some sort of a bomb shelter. Mm -hmm. they captured him and they have no idea where he is. And they hope he's okay. Yeah. Like this, just the horrific idea that some peaceful civilian could just be targeted like, you know, like you would shoot a monster, you know, not, not even, not even an animal, you know, you shoot an animal, yeah. you eat it. 
Yeah. You know, it's like a monster. Like, just gun that monster down. Leave it where it is. It's so scary that people are still willing to do things like that. But it is real. That's what we have to all understand. Like, you can have these utopian perspectives of how you think the world should be. And I, I side with a lot of what they think about the inequality of the world. I just have different solutions than them. And my solution is not redistribution of wealth. My solution is figure out what's wrong with communities and rebuild them. The fact that we have these impoverished communities and that we've never spent any like real engineering and money to try to solve these crises that have led to so many people coming out of these places and just being fucked from the jump and having no examples of people living good lives, no examples of people that are involved in crime and just being swarmed by negativity and mm. bad influences constantly. And the fact that we expect these people to rise past that is complete and total insanity. I agree. And almost always perpetrated by people that just like you were talking about, people that have experienced peace most of their life, they mm -hmm. have no idea that violence is inside of them or what violence really is. It's the same sort of thing. It's people that grew up where they really never had to worry about money. You know, maybe they weren't rich, but they weren't starving to death. They, they didn't have to worry about someone shooting them every day or killing their parents when they were on the way home from working or whatever the fuck the problem was. But for a large percentage of what we supposedly think of as a community, which is the United States. We should think of ourselves as a big community. We've ignored people that are fucked. It's like there's, there's places that are just fucked, and we have to do something to fix that. If you don't do something to fix that, you're going to keep this disparity. You're going to keep mm -hmm. this problem, and the problem is far more it's it's more solvable solvable than so many other things that we try to tackle like we're trying to figure out how to cool the earth down like <laughs> like that's great too but let's fucking figure out how to make the country a better place instead of just like just saying that rich people are the problem instead of mm -hmm. like, well, there's, yeah, there's a lot of problems with rich people there's a lot mm -hmm. of problems with influence there's a lot of problems with people that have the ability to change laws and people that have the ability to sell you things that they know will kill you they know are going to kill a certain number of you and mm -hmm. they can still sell them to you they right. can just say hey we, we some, some may believe it's not addictive right yay and then they cut it loose well here's the thing you know, people like to throw money at, an, at every problem. Yes. But they don't love to see how the money is being spent. So, for, for example, I, we could use Hamas as the example. So much money has been thrown at the Gaza Strip, and they use it instead of to build buildings and build water pipes. They dig up the water pipes and build rockets to, to go to Israel, right? But you could also you can make use this the same. water pipes as rockets. Yeah, they 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 make pipes into rockets. No way. Yeah. Yeah, there's a they they have a video, uh, one of their own propaganda videos where they show themselves doing this, um, and billions of dollars has been billions has been thrown by 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 Europe, by America at helping the Gazans uh, because they are living in conditions that are indescribably horrible. Just it, third world doesn't even justify how how Gazans are living, but they're living under a uh, uh, a terrorist party that actually doesn't care whether they live or die because any Palestinian that dies from an Israeli airstrike, they go straight to heaven, according to, to Hamas. So Hamas, and they genuinely believe this. This is what I think people in the West, they don't remember 
what it's like to truly believe in religion because right. the the West has been pretty much secularized at this point outside of some pockets. People that still believe in religion re really believe it. Yeah. Like during the Iran-Iraq war, the Iranians, they would send 13-year-old, 12-year-old boys over to be cannon fodder. They would throw them at Saddam Hussein and they would give them a, a key around their necks to get them into heaven. And the boys believed it. it it's you, you have to realize that people really believe these kinds of things. And you can't, so many people analyze the situation without putting themselves really in the shoes of a true believer. Yeah, right? that's a very, very important point. And in this country, when we connect, when we start talking about true believers, we really talk about the negative ones. We we talk about like Westboro Baptist Church type stuff. Mm -hmm. We talk about uh, you know the the worst aspects of cult like behavior that comes from some organized religions and fanatical organized religions. So intelligent people in this country, you know, I mean, there was the big atheist movement that existed for quite a while. It seems mm -hmm. to have kind of like. So they've kind of dissipated into yeah. something else, right? You know, I noticed that. Yeah, but that movement of this this re rejection of uh, organized religion and this sort of because the atmosphere that most of these academics exist in, most media people exist in, and most people that live in big cities exist in, is that there's a sort of kind of wholesale dismissiveness mm. that's attached to organized religion. There is, and um. So because of that, they don't have the context, much like people that have never experienced violence, don't have the conf context of violence. When I see people talking about you know, openly advocating for military interventions, things like, who, you? Are you going to go do it? You want to go risk your face getting shot off because of information that may or may not be bullshit? Mm -hmm. You? Who's going to go? Oh, you want people other than you to go and mm -hmm. represent what you think of as the good thing. Because you don't know these people, and if they die, it, it doesn't feel like anything to you. Mm -hmm. But those people have families, and those people have children, and, and there's got to be a way that we minimize the amount of violence in the world, specifically the amount of violence that doesn't make any sense. And this kind of violence doesn't make any sense. It's fucking terrifying. And uh, if you have true believers that don't think it's terrifying and, and think it makes total sense— and you don't realize that people like that exist in the world, that that is a real thing. Mm -hmm. That's always been a real, that was the mm -hmm. Nazis. That is a real it's thing. It's also most of human history to your point. Yes, most you of know, human did, did Gang, Was Genghis Khan afraid of violence? <laughs> did he ever consider that violence was, so if, if you're dealing with someone who comes from, or a group of people that, uh, basically a cult that, that uh, perpetuates that kind of mindset, that raises people you know, the older brother raises his younger brother to believe that from day one, right? Yeah. You can't address that like we would uh, want to address, I don't know, if we had some dispute with Britain nowadays. It's there's like, also this solidarity in this, the, this, there's a community aspect that can't be ignored where people want to be a part of something yeah. big. Mm -hmm. And when you connect a person who might have very dire circumstances otherwise, like the, the world around them is very bleak, but you connect them to this group of people that are also committed to this quest that they believe is righteous and in, in God's will. 
that God wants this to take place and that this is their this is their directive on earth you can talk people into things man mm -hmm. you know we've all seen wild wild country <laughs> we've all seen documentaries yep. on cults human beings are extremely malleable I mean it's not a it's not like all the people that moved to the cities just decided they, to move there because they're Democrats like I'm right. a Democrat I'm gonna move to where the other Democrats are and find my people mm -hmm. that's not what's going on mm -hmm. there's a, a hive mind aspect to human beings that just can't be ignored because we don't want to be ostracized socially we don't want to be we don't want to be kicked out of the tribe so we're terrified of stepping out of line and so when you are in the, a terrible situation, you're much more likely to believe that someone put you there. You're much more likely to believe that there's an oppressor. You're much more likely to believe that that, that person's taking from you. And if that's what you're told from the time you were young and you're, you're told that the solution is to become a martyr mm -hmm. and you're gonna get to go to heaven, you can talk people into that with no options. Oh yeah. It's not, it, Absolutely. it is real. It's a real thing. and. I don't know how to re-engineer that. I, I don't know how to solve that. The like truth once is, people I think, have already been down yeah, that path. I think most of the solutions have been missed. I think that's the hard truth. Mm -hmm. That, you know, the the land was partitioned between an Israel and a Palestinian state in 1947. The Palestinians rejected the partition, and that was the, and, and attacked, and that was the war of independence. Um, that was an opportunity for a solution. There's an opportunity when it was occupied by Jordan and Egypt for them to create a Palestinian state, but it wasn't in their interests, so they didn't do it. There was an opportunity in 2000 was the closest opportunity when Yasser Arafat um, and Ehud Barak met at Camp, da Camp David with Clinton um, and, and Arafat walked away. And the difference between now and then is that Israeli society is now moving more and more to the right. And what that means in Israel is less and less are they seeking a two-state solution compared to 2000 or 2008 when two-state solutions were offered. So, and, and part of the reason Israeli society is moving to the right is because the ultra-Orthodox or what we call Hasidic uh, often in, in America that we, in New York, we, we, they have communities in Brooklyn, they have, you know, they have six kids per family, something like that. And so they started out as a tiny minority in Israel 75 years ago. And now a third, a third of kids under a certain age, might be 18, are ultra Orthodox. And they have more right wing views. They're generally more pro settling the West Bank, anti two state solution. So I, I fear that the that the Palestinian side rejected the only options, the only times that they were offered a state, and that those offers are not going to be forthcoming again in the future because of how Israeli society is changing. And so it, it's a very grim situation because it seems like it, 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 there's no solution, no solution that does not involve horrible bloodshed. And there's horrors from both sides. That's another thing that people need to look at. They, they need to stop this idea that there's good guys and bad guys. Because there's, there's things that people do when the other side is the enemy that are absolutely horrific on both sides. It's always been the case. 
it's it's natural. It's no, it's not like everyone on side A is pure and everyone's no, they're all humans. And when you're dealing with a group of people that want you dead and you want them dead, they mm-hmm. do horrible things. Like Abby Martin, who was on my podcast, talked about her experience going back and forth from Israel to Palestine, how scary mm-hmm. it was talking to people that were yeah. had been shot by soldiers and people that people were shot in the dick on purpose and do, do crazy shit. Like that's real too. Mm-hmm. That's real too. You mean from the Palestinian side? No, from the Israeli side, doing oh. it to Palestinians. Oh, oh, yeah, no, that's what I mean. Yes. Yes, absolutely. That's real too. Yeah. So it's, you know, Israelis are human beings, just mm-hmm. like all human beings. And human beings have good ones and bad ones. And they have people that do horrible things in horrible times. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a guy once, oh, God, I forget the story. I think he was he was running for some office and they labeled him as like a war hero and he was kind of running with it. Mm. And then I believe he dropped out and then just started admitting the horrific things that he had to do during Vietnam. Mm. And I think it involved, I don't even want to say, see if you, do you know that story, Jamie? I forget exactly what he said, so I don't want to keep going. No, but, but, in, but in, I, I, t- I totally agree. That, like every army that's ever waged war has done horrible, has done things. horrible, things. horrible and, things. And they not that they all do the same extent of horrible things. Some are really worse than others, but none are none are saints. There, I don't think there's ever been an army that just truly behaved like a saint. No, down to the last man. It's it's not. It's, it's not real. It's, it's not possible. That I think that is to your point the a fantasy standard that outsiders who've never had to get their hands dirty to survive um you know but obviously it's a standard we should ideally want to hold people to we should encourage the world's armies to behave better uh but but we if a country is going to wage a just war if you're going to say you have the right to wage war in this situation I don't think that can be revoked the second you find a soldier that does something horrible. Right. Because by that logic, we could not wage World War II. Right. That's important to talk about. And that's going to happen. Israeli soldiers are going to do... The the, the worst stories, I think, are yet to come. And we can have sympathy for the Palestinians without saying that Israel has no right to retaliate. That's my point of view on it, at least. Well, that's a balanced perspective, and you know, I I wish I knew more about the history of that conflict to see if there's any way that they could change the way they interact with each other. But I just don't. And so it's just one of those things where you just see it playing out. And you feel so helpless. It's yeah. made me so anxious. Mm. Sometimes at nighttime. I think about Ukraine and Russia, and I think about what's going on right now with Israel and Palestine, and I get so terrified. I get so terrified of the possibility of it just going off the rails and then nukes being on the table. Because mm-hmm. I just, I know we haven't used one since 1945, but I feel like that is one of those things when you look at history. Like the invention of the bow and arrow, the invention of the atlatl. Oh, it's two thousand years later. A, how long for someone shot someone with it? 
Did they wait a while? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, was it a few years? Like, mm-hmm. was it a few months before someone shot someone with an arrow once they first invented it? Just because it's been, let's go to 100 years. In overall history of human beings, 100 years ain't shit. If you look at the 1700s, do you really think there's a big differentiation between 1720 and 1790? Or you know, is there that much of a difference? I bet there's not. I bet, I bet if someone did something today with a nuclear bomb, history would look at it the same way we mm. look at every other thing that takes place over long periods of time. Oh, then there was an invention of the wheel, and then X amount of years later, they put a fucking gun on top of that thing and started mowing people down. Mm. And this is just, just blips in time. We're just in the middle of it. So we think, well, mutually assured destruction mm. is what's kept us from dying. But <laughs> has it? Or is it, or are we just waiting? Are we waiting for this fucking stupid game, this chess game, to reach a point where it's checkmate? Reach a point where someone flips the table over? Because that's, if you're dealing with people that aren't afraid to die, and you're dealing with people that are willing to kill everyone that opposes them because they genuinely think they're doing the will of God, they get a hold of a nuke. Like if they're willing to kill, this is always I've always said this. How many people is it acceptable to kill in one shot? Like if, if you say they bombed and killed thousands, well that number seems to be reasonable for us. We're like, well, thousands of people died in uh, 9/11 too, and that mm-hmm. sucks, and mm-hmm. that's really awful that thousands of people are dying. Mm-hmm. But if someone dumps a nuke and it kills a million people instantly, yeah. is that more horrific? Is it, is it to them? It's to us. It scares the shit out of us because of mutually assured destruction. But is that more horrific to someone who really believes they're doing the right thing? If it's if it's okay to kill a thousand no, people, look. If you're like Thanos, right? This is why Thanos was such an amazing villain. Is because you could see deep in his mind, he felt he was a monk, like a monk for good, and that he had to snap half the universe out of existence mm. to save the world. Right. He was a true believer. He wasn't just some guy that's you know right. Well, eugenics. When people talk yeah. about eugenics, they like if you were not a human being, if you were raising like an animal, mm-hmm. you wanted to do a very specific task, mm-hmm. like dogs, for yeah, instance. Right. You don't let the ones that are fucked up breed. Right. Right? And so it, you could see how someone who has no sense of humanity and no compassion for human beings that are unfortunate, you could see how they would say, well, you got to kill them. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a, a creepy, scary conclusion to like what what your problem your solution is but you could see how a sociopath or a psychopath would go in that direction mm-hmm. well we're gonna have bottom-up eugenics very soon as opposed to top-down eugenics being the government deciding who gets to procreate and not based on racist ideas or anything like that we're gonna have very soon like i think within the easily within the next three years um you know you, you and your wife with a, getting a b- bunch of embryos, 15 or 20 embryos, doing polygenic analysis on those embryos and telling you which ones are going to turn out taller, which ones are going to turn out smarter, which ones are going to turn out less likely to be depressed. If you have a history of schizophrenia in your family, we can tell you that correlates with this, this set of genes and this one's less likely. So you're scoring your own embryos, which people already do. But now they just score it based on what's the biggest embryo, which is... Is that just, what they do? Yeah, like they, you, you prefer the bigger embryo because it's there may some scientific reason well, it's why like it's maybe healthier or something. 
What if it's like that dude from Ice <laughs> Man? He was like big. <laughs> <laughs> that might have been the way to go, kids. Yeah. It might not be just bigger. They have some reason, but they're going to get very precise with it very soon because of polygenic analysis. Well, and then there's CRISPR, which, yeah. you know, they've already used in China. And, you know, they supposedly jailed the scientists that did it. What they were saying they were doing is they were uh, doing something with a gene to make people uh, impervious to AIDS. But what, what okay. really was going on is they were making them smarter. Hmm. Yeah, see where you find that, because I know I butchered that. If you're a scientist out there, sorry. So in China, they're doing this? They did it. They did it? They did it, yeah. Wow. And uh, I believe the international response was, you know, people were pretty scared that this kind of stuff is going on. But here it is. China's CRISPR twins might have had their brains inadvertently enhanced. It was a mistake. Guys, we're just trying to kill this thing that doesn't really kill any people anymore. Uh, new research suggests that a controversial gene editing experiment to make children resistant, not even immune, resistant to HIV, may have also enhanced their ability to learn and form memories. Yeah. You don't think that's an accident? I'm sure it's it. on purpose, but... I, I would hope it's on purpose. That sounds I, like a... It a sounds good. Great accident. Yeah, Like, it look, a, a, if you're a parent, after your kid is born, you're going to spend... Who knows how many thousands of dollars? If you send them to private school, you're going you, yes. to send them $20,000 a year for some fancy private school to make them smarter and happier. But you wouldn't invest a little time at the beginning and effort at, at the beginning to make them smarter? I mean, right, especially it, one if it is, only costs like a couple hundred bucks or something like that. I get that one is icky and sci-fi, but if you remove that element of it and just look at it for what it is, if it's reliable... Why would I not want to make my kids smarter? Smarter people live longer, they're happier, et cetera. Well, that's pretty clear in the data. So Is that clear in the data that smarter people live longer? I think up to a point smarter people have But you always hear about every, that guy every just, other. I drank whiskey and smoked cigarettes and I'm hundred and five years old and I feel fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> those guys exist too. They man. do, they do. What's up with those guys? I don't know. They they just have I don't know. Amazing genes other than their brain. <laughs> but actually, you know, the there is a, I don't know if you've seen this, that one of the smartest guys in the world, IQ-wise, is like a crazy white supremacist. Really? Yeah, he has like a 190 or something IQ. Wait a minute, are you talking about that guy? They did a documentary on him back in the day, the smartest man in the world. He was a I bouncer. Think, I don't... May, yeah, I don't recall like, whether he was a bouncer or not. Maybe let's make sure that we're not yeah, talking about yeah, the yeah. same guy because I don't want to disparage this guy. But this guy was—they did like a documentary on him. Like he's—he was like a fuck up all through school, but he was just genius and just mm. got moved around a bunch of times. But he, you know, he's a big, thick guy. He looks like a bouncer. This guy, man with yeah, the world's yeah, highest yeah. IQ, Christopher Langan, is gaining a following on the far right. Yep. So are you saying that this guy is a white supremacist? That's what I was uh, that's what I read. That's what you read where though. Let's this is 2019. So I, they've likened him to Alex Jones with a thesaurus. Langan now in his 60s been a curiosity for nearly 25 years, a man who has clocked his own IQ somewhere north of 190. Albert Einstein Einstein wasn't quite there apparently who has mostly worked as a bouncer in a bar, never attained any significant professional roles or published any serious academic work. He's been the subject of several profiles from Esquire magazine to Malcolm Gladwell. He makes an appearance in Outliers. Uh, the documentarian Errol Morris even interviewed Langan. He's it's an interesting guy. He's very intelligent. Like when you hear him talk, he's, he's obviously able to like 
retain an incredible amount of information in mm -hmm. his brain. But over the years, it says in this article, but over the years, he has garnered a following that overlaps considerably with fans of the far-right internet content. Okay. Overlaps doesn't mean he's far-right, right? We can agree to that. He inveighs against the academic establishment for not accepting his papers about his proprietary theory of everything. He frequently touts his IQ. Okay, so... He's got flaws. <laughs> Inviting the interest of alt-right readers. Okay, what does that mean? Inviting the interest of alt-right readers. Just because people yeah, read I him. I don't like I don't the style this. of journalism. I, I don't like this at all. I, I'd like them this to is, just quote him. Exactly. Yeah. This is horseshit. Um, inviting the interest of alt-right. But by the way, I've read that about me. Mm -hmm. And writers who subscribe to the belief that uh, IQ is racially determined and a sign of racial superiority. Okay, look what he's saying, though. He's inviting the interest. He's not saying this. It's saying he's inviting the interest of people who believe and writers who subscribed to the belief that IQ is racially determined and a sign of racial superiority. It's not him saying that. Mm. It's saying that people who like him think something fucked up. One of Langan's posts, an obituary uh, for the intelligent gorilla Coco, wherein Langan suggested the U.S. would do better to admit African guerrillas as refugees than African people, was praised by the Daily Stormer, the neo-Nazi blog. So what did he actually say, though? So, yeah, this is, you know, I think yeah. as I get older, the more and more I, I, suspicious I am when they don't just quote. Right. Because well, that, that... usually if, if the quote is knock, knocked down evidence, you put the quote. Yeah, Jamie, I don't think you should click on that because I think that's just the the people that believe that IQ is racially determined. I know, I was but I would find like his story that way. That's right, but oh, okay. I would just like to see what his quote was. Yeah, I'll find it. Give me a second. Because it seems like they would put that quote in there if that quote was so probably. Yeah, probably. If it was such a problem. Why don't? But you can't. This is why, at the end of the day, there's no substitute for just listening to the person the words out of their mouth and making up your own mind. I don't know if that guy has a 190 IQ, but he's obviously very intelligent yes. like when he talks about things. He's very smart. He's also like a bouncer. Like he's mm -hmm. kind of a hard ass and he's got an ego. But you know, he, he knows he's smart too. I yeah, I don't I don't like that about people. I don't, I don't It's know. it's uncomfortable, but sometimes people that go they, around telling you their IQ, it's like I know. It's kind of gross. It's uh, insufferable. It is, but there's also people who are insufferable when they tell you about how well their business does. They're insufferable when they tell you they have a big dick. Right. You know, like right whatever right, it right. is, people are insufferable. Right. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they're stupid. It just yes. means that they have flaws. The thing, though, is that smart people can get things very wrong. Yes. Because not all smart people are have a good temperament to absorb evidence that doesn't confirm their belief not all of them are intellectually honest. So to me, I think IQ is one thing, but intellectual honesty and general psychological mental maturity, emotional maturity, are two totally different things. Yeah. But isn't it interesting how you, even though you didn't have the information, were saying he was a white supremacist? There you go. Yeah. So this is something that I, I'm, I fall victim to this, too. It's like we all I, do. I, I, sh I shouldn't just repeat things that I read in one article without having done the, um, the primary source stuff. I try um, not to, but I catch yeah. myself doing it, too. Yeah. But it's also a function of... It's part of this thing that you just can't have all the information. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you, it's so not possible, especially when you're talking about all the events and all the things in the world. It's just, you're going to fuck things up. Do you find anything about that guy's quote? I'm trying. 
there's a lot about him, so I'm trying to dig through that then. I just like to see the quote that there's he said not, about African gorillas. I don't think it's or, actually uh, a quote. It was, he's got a blog where he talks about He's got long writing. He writes, he's got tons of writings. He's got right. a Substack. This guy's been writing for a long time. That's yeah. why there's so many profiles on him. Mm-hmm. There's uh, videos asking if he's completely made up, if all this is bullshit. Um, well, I just think he doesn't have the sort of academic, you know, he doesn't have PhDs and he's not accepted in, you know, it's not, so even if he's really intelligent, people are going to dismiss him just because he's mm-hmm. not a part of that system. Mm-hmm. But I want to know what he said that made them say that. Right. Me too. Because the, I don't like the way they were framing all the things before that, where they were mm-hmm. saying that people who also believe this like him. You can't do that. Because how many people like him? Like, if, if you, the guy's got a Substack that has 100,000 followers, and you find 1,000 white supremacists, that, and you say, some people who like that believe that Jews should be exterminated. Like, come right. on. Right. Like, you, that's not him. Like you can't do that. Like that's that's bullshit. That's not yeah. journalism. That's you're you're, that's you're like pushing a, a narrative. How a lawyer in a courtroom would grill the other side, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's 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 that's not journalism. No, it's not. And it's it's uncomfortable because this is something that we all fall prey to. And you just openly admitted that you did. You know, totally. and I have too. You just, yeah. I read a headline, and I'm just like, oh, that must be real. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have time to get into this. Yeah. I don't have any time. There's not enough time in the world to research all the different things that'll freak you out. But you were talking about just intelligence in general and the ability to manipulate intelligence in embryos. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that this thing with China, where you're saying that um, it's, it's overall good to increase a child's intelligence, like, who would say that's not good? Like, if you would you rather your kid be dull witted? Like, well, this mm-hmm. Billy could be dull. Or well, what we can do with CRISPR is uh, by a significant margin increase his ability to memorize things. And, and, and t- you'd go, oh, yeah, what do I have to do? It's really safe and effective. We're just going to do this little gene editing. And then all of a sudden, Billy's a fucking genius. Of course you would do that. And yeah, that's just the beginning. That's the beginning. We're going to. But then what happens is they mess up. Oh, yeah. Once, you know, they make Billy, they make Billy stupid. They yeah. make Billy. Billy's maybe Billy's a psychopath. Maybe yeah. Billy's the American psycho. He's and, really smart, but he's a fucking evil person. Right. And there's some massive class action lawsuit against one of the companies. Well, the companies be immune. Maybe... No, they'd be immune because it's for the greater good of the human race. Come on. Yeah, they'll lob- lobby Congress to make it immune for one hundred percent. If they've done it with vaccines, they can do it with other things. The precedent's we'll been set. We'll see about that. We'll see about that. I, somehow, I, I don't know. They may. These companies may not have very much power at first. They may have nowhere near as much power as as the pharmaceutical lobby. Well, also, um, what kind of regulations are in place to prohibit this sort of experimentation? I think none so far. That's not good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's not bad either. I think it's just a function of human beings' creativity, innovation, mm-hmm. and this desire to constantly make things better. Yep. And we do that with computers, and we do it with cars, and we do it with everything. Mm-hmm. We do it with solar panels. We do it with fucking everything. We're going to do it with us. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, it's like... <clears throat> We're gonna miss some things. Like there's, there's beauty that comes out of people's tortured experiences and at how it gets expressed in art. And if you eliminate all the negativity of life, you're gonna miss out on a lot of things that bring us joy and inspiration. And that's what's that. That's the real conflict. That's what's fuck. Like how much, you know, when they, every time you have an ecosystem. 
that has a problem and they introduce an invasive species into the ecosystem to solve the problem every time it gets fucked unintended consequences. unintended consequences are off the charts australia is a great example they brought in feral cats to deal with some of their uh, pest problems and now feral cats have like decimated ground oh, nesting yeah, right. birds they I, make I everything extinct that. so now they're trying to kill all the cats yes right? <laughs> people hunt cats in australia so when you have like bow hunting journals in america bow hunting journals in america where like magazines and stuff mm. people hold up pictures of like a white-tailed deer that they're going to eat you know it's like oh we got venison for dinner tonight mm. and look at this beautiful buck that we harvested in australia they hold up some of the magazines hold up dead cats too like, look, we got rid of this motherfucker. And it's a house cat. And you're like, yo, that's great. That's like, for some people, it's like a dog. Mm -hmm. You know, the way I feel about my dog, some people feel that way about a cat. And mm -hmm. to see a cat with a fucking arrow hole through its chest and the guy's holding it up like, I did a good thing, mate. Like, <laughs> in that world, they've fucked that system up so badly that the cat is now the bad guy. The cat is not your little friend like, hey, buddy, what's up, buddy? Your little friend. No. Now the cat's the bad guy, and you can shoot him and take pictures of him. So it's the question. If we, through gene editing, get rid of schizophrenia, say, yeah. does that also dial the clock down on creativity in general a bit? It, who? Yeah. Who knows? Does a guy like Kanye get born in such a world? Right. Right. Well, he's a great example of that. Whatever issues he has, I think he thinks now that he's autistic. I think that's what he's been openly saying. But whatever issues he has, that guy is a fucking tornado of creativity. Mm -hmm. Like his mind is, when he wanted to do the podcast, okay, one of the things he wanted to do is make a set that was a womb. And we we're going to do it in there. He goes, uh, he was like, your studio is uh, ugly and it's boring. <laughs> I forget what he said. He said, would you allow me to design your studio? I go, yeah, do whatever the fuck you want. This is going to be fun. But Jamie got COVID. So it all got thrown into a monkey wrench and we need someone else to engineer mm. it. And so we just did it in my little shitty studio. But that guy is just always trying to think about sustainable housing. He's trying to think about new forms of currency. He's designing clothes. He's writing fucking songs constantly. His brain, the same thing that makes him blurt out things that are questionable and he probably shouldn't have said it, mm -hmm. that same brain is responsible for an insane amount of art. I think that's right. Yeah. I think and, it's true of Elon too. And when, when he was medicated, like he didn't like it. Like yeah. they, they cut that off, like this superpower. It's like telling Superman, like, you have to wear a kryptonite coat. <sighs> Why? I'm fucking Superman. I can and handle the, this. The color just gets drained from the world or something. Yeah. There's I mean, yeah. Probably something will come of that. We'll find out. That, I mean, they he's find been, He's out. been quiet for a while, no? I don't know. I, don't, I, I, I haven't heard anything attention. about him. I haven't been paying attention. Recently. It's kind of crazy. What did, what, did, what did he actually eventually say? What was his, his over, the big thing that he said? He said the, the, that he loves Hitler because he loves everyone. Yes. Yeah. And and Alex Jones really tried to get him, gave him every opportunity to walk it back. And he's yeah. like, oh, so you're just saying you like the Nazi uniforms. You like the aesthetic of Hitler. He goes, no, I love Hitler. Right. He really just stepped right into it. He sh he didn't take any of the exit doors that Jones was giving him. Well, you got to understand his personality, too. He's a guy that does not like being told what not to do. That's right. Right. When yeah. Obama called him a jackass, 
he immediately started supporting Trump after that. Remember, he was wearing the Make mm-hmm. America Great. When people were saying that Trump was bad, mm-hmm. Kanye was like, no, 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 I'm with Trump. Yeah. And there was a concert that he did. He said he didn't vote, but if he did vote, he would have voted f- for Trump. And the whole crowd was like, boo! Right. One thing I've, I've noticed about people as I've gotten a little older is that if, if a strategy has been working for someone their entire life, they're not going to get to 50 years old or 40 years old and suddenly change it when it stops working. Right. So if you're Kanye, you're a random kid from Chicago and you became like a decent producer, but like everyone else, you, you came to New York with big dreams and you didn't get noticed for a while. And then the second you did get noticed, the second you tried to rap, everyone told you you were crazy. And not just everyone, the top experts of rap in hip hop, Jay-Z's record label, the people that would most know say, look, Kanye, you're, you're a good producer, but take it from us. We're the top experts in the world. You don't want to get into the rap game. And he says, you know what? I'm going to do the really dumb thing and say, no, you're all wrong. And then he becomes not just a good rapper, but the best rapper in history. Right. So this strategy of, of a bunch of people that are the smartest people. And then, by the way, he did the same thing with fashion. Everyone, the smartest people in the world said, Kanye, you're a great rapper, but trust us. Stay. <laughs> we, we know more than anyone in the world about this industry. You, you can't make it. And then he does it better than them. So a guy for whom that strategy has been working, he's just been calling his shot like Babe Ruth over and over again and getting it every time against the odds. He's not going to wake up at 45 years old and when people say, you can't vote for Trump, he's going to say, yeah, actually, I, I should listen to them this time. Right. Good point. And I've noticed this about other people, too. It's like if they have some weird strategy that's really worked for them, you can't, you can't tell them to change it halfway through their life. Yeah. And Elon's the same way. This is, I think it's precisely connected to his extreme success of all, this, all the ventures that were supposed to fail, that had you put anyone else at the helm, they would have failed. Tesla, SpaceX. Um, just constantly having the smartest people in the world tell him he can't do something and then doing it. He, he's, uh, you know, he's immune to a, a chorus of very smart, well-meaning people telling him, don't say that, don't do this. Right. Because it's worked for him his, his whole life. And, and so I think the point is the flaws people point out in these people, they may be genuine flaws, but they are the flip side of the coin of their success. Yes. They're inseparable. Such a good point. Yeah. Such an important point. And, you know, I think when people get in a situation like, like we've never seen a person get in a situation like Kanye, where he was one of the biggest entertainers on the planet Earth, if not the biggest, and then all of a sudden becomes persona non grata. But that's never really happened before like that, over words. over mm-hmm. and, and a guy who clearly has a penchant for saying things that are outrageous and he's always done that and he clearly goes on rants mm-hmm. you know where i don't even know if he knows where he's going sometimes like he went on a crazy rant when he met with trump did you ever see that one yeah I did. it's one of my yeah, favorites because yeah, yeah. trump trump is so happy that kanye is there he's like <laughs> this is great this is great i'm just gonna listen like if that if if kanye was opposed to him and was saying the same kind of things. How do you think Trump would respond? Like, yeah, he would. What? What? 
What are you talking? Where did the you radical get your education? <laughs> what kind of talk is this? And see, instead, yeah. he's like sitting there going, okay, yeah. like Trump's smart. He's sitting there, he's letting Kanye rant. And can't, Kanye is trying to change Make America Great Again mm-hmm. to Make America Great or something or Keep America. I forget what he was going, but he had this idea in his head that he had mm-hmm. this, this was bad for black people and we want to make mm-hmm. it change into this thing. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. It's just a wild dude. He's a wild dude. I think he's a bad person. He's not a bad person Although by any I, stretch of the imagination. I don't think he's going to be persona non grata forever. No, he's talented, man. You know, that I motherfucker think, will put out a new album think, and it'll and be a banger. Everyone will listen to it, and for most people, all will be forgiven, especially I think people will give him a pass because of mental illness. Like I, I don't think he'll be canceled forever. No. Yeah. He's too good. Yeah. He's too good. To this day, to this day, people listen to Michael Jackson music. Yeah. To this day. To this day. I want to rock with you comes oh, on yeah. and everybody goes, oh man, you don't think, oh, that's that guy who went crazy and had wild facial reconstructive surgery and may or may not have molested kids. Mm-hmm. You don't think that. You think that guy was so fucking good. When Beat It comes on, you don't, yeah. you know, you don't think about those things. Doesn't and matter. It's pretty. It's there pretty... was, I do remember there was like one week where people considered not listening to Michael Jackson. And then everyone at the same time was like, ah, too good. it's too good. It's too good. It's too good. Got to be starting something. When yeah. you hear some of those songs, you're like, God damn, that dude was good. Yeah. He was so good that they played him on rock and roll radio in Boston. I remember I was in, in Boston and it was WCOZ, which was like the local rock station we would all listen to. It was mostly like classic rock, like Aerosmith and mm-hmm. Led Zeppelin and shit. And the DJ comes on. This is back when DJs can still play whatever they wanted to play. And he came on and he said, look, I know this isn't rock and roll, but I'm going to play it anyway <laughs> because it it's chance. so good. Trust me. <laughs> and he played Billie Jean. Oh. And it was so yeah. good that people didn't give a fuck that it was Michael Jackson. They didn't think it was disco or any. They didn't give it a label. They're like, wow. Yeah. Undeniable. Just undeniable. And that's Kanye. Kanye's got some bangers oh yeah i got kanye in about 10 songs on my green room playlist and when we're in the mothership and those songs come on everybody's like oh shit here's another one he had so many of them so many of them so many of them and that's that same mind that same mind that says crazy shit that same mind is just fucking going it's just going in a bunch of different directions Mm -hmm. with like like a fucking thousand horsepower engine, and we're all out here in Civics. Yeah, exactly. That's what's going on. The rest on. of us are not like that. No, you know, I mean we're different. <laughs> we're different, and we need people like that. We just yeah. need them to not not say things that hurt people's feelings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And don't don't say things that you know disparage entire groups of people. And right. I don't think he means to do right. that. I don't think anybody that's a good. I don't think he's a bad person by any stretch of the imagination. But I think we have to recognize that there's some mental illness that is extremely beneficial. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that when these people are behaving and, and c- expressing themselves in a certain way, they're just unwell. Mm. And it might be momentarily. There's people that get into manic states and they say things and they have to call people back and say, I'm so sorry. I was freaking out. I'm not supposed to be drinking and I drank mm-hmm. and I'm on mm-hmm. this medication and I fucked up. And it's like, yeah, okay. But as a society, just cast someone. I mean, like Adidas stopped their contracts with them and everybody stopped doing business with them. It's like, wow. I don't think you get rid of bad ideas by doing that. No, and so like, either. so everything I said about Israel on your podcast, no one can say that I'm a, a Hamas defender, right? I'm very pro-Israel, 
But there are people right now that for expressing pro Hamas beliefs are being, you know, uh, there's companies saying we're never going to hire you to yes. college kids. Uh, there, there's all, all kinds of stuff like this is going on where I'm, I'm totally against it. I, I'm, I'm, I think people should be absolutely free to make these stupid arguments and we should inform them. We should argue. Right, we should have a conversation. Right, but e- even think, when it's like a really bad belief. But do you think that you would want someone to work for you if you found out that they were pro-terrorist? Like no, if you, probably if, not. Like if you found so, if some no, guy I wouldn't. says I wouldn't. he's into ISIS, no, and he wants to work for your company, like you would say, "Hey, I'm not going to hire you because you have decided that you you're pro-Taliban." I wonder about that. I wonder about that because I I want to say yes, but. Uh, you know, my friend, my friend Noam Dorman, who owns a comedy cellar, he says that he has people working in his kitchen. He, this guy, his, both his parents are from Israel, very pro-Israel. It's it's actually the most important issue to him in in life, perhaps. He has people working in his kitchen from the Middle East that believe all the propaganda, all the anti-Semitic propaganda that they've been fed that many people in the Arab world are fed they he, they believe the Jews are controlling the media the Jews are uh, everything right and they're right. totally anti-Israel and maybe some of them would even are, are even happy about the Hamas attack but he says as long as they keep their politics out of work they don't alienate customers and we treat each other with respect I'm not going to say I'd fire you or I wouldn't hire you you know well good for him that's a very beautiful and jesus-like way of approaching the world yeah i mean but i think it ideally it should be it should be more and more the way we approach the world because i don't think you persuade people by persecuting them right the difference between that and someone like someone holding beliefs because they came from a particular part of the world is very different from someone going out on the street and yelling it, holding up banners and flags, using bullhorns, and that—that yeah. that is what someone might do at a protest. So, if you were at a pro-ISIS protest and you were screaming about ISIS's caliphate and that this is the, the the just way of life and this is what God wants, like I probably don't want you working at Subway. You're probably not going to be the dude I want to be making sandwiches next to. You know, and I'll probably if I'm yeah. hiring at an auto repair shop, and this guy thinks he's going to be a martyr if he blows himself up. Maybe I'm not going to hire that guy. Maybe I'm yeah. not going to hire the guy that thinks that it's okay to talk little kids into wearing a fucking vest and walking into a school. I agree. Yeah, but at the same time, I don't like the idea that there's a political litmus test for having a job. Right. Like, and this is part of what's happening with diversity, equity, and inclusion statements is that all over the country there are these jobs, professorships at universities, where in order to be hired, you have to sign and say, I support diversity, equity, inclusion, which, and a a long paragraph of values you may not hold. Why why should I need to sign on to that uh, to to be hired to teach math? Right. I I, I get very uncomfortable with that. It gets slippery. Because yeah, you get to political ideologies that you're forcing people to subscribe to. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's it is a slippery slope, right? I mean, if you were a Catholic and you would not hire Baptists, because not Baptists were fools, you, you only believe in hiring Catholics, that would get weird. 
you yeah. know and but those we were okay in in that sense that most people of differing christian persuasions are comfortable with each other lutherans mm-hmm. are comfortable around methodists and they look at baptists the same way they look at catholics maybe, maybe they look at mormons weird you know <laughs> <laughs> mormons are that's a weird one but they're you know it's nice though it's they're very they're the nicest people yeah. but it's it's very common for people of different branches of christianity to work together and have no problems mm-hmm. but it's when things get weird is when you dis- like one thing is way worse than the other thing or one thing opposes the existence of another thing now we're getting to extreme differences mm-hmm. like if the difference between the hamas and israel like if right. you're getting to that or if you're getting to you know nazis and the jews or if you're getting to you know, you, there's there's things that you can get to where you're like, okay, this is valid. You know, yeah, these are valid reasons to not be worried. But if you do that, and it keeps pushing in a certain direction, it could get to Catholics hating the Protestants, and that's what the fuck happened in Ireland. Mm-hmm. They were blowing each other up. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I went to uh, Belfast, Northern Ireland, for a UFC once, mm. there's. Cars, police cars that are covered with like steel plates to bomb proof them. Wow. Have you ever seen it? It's wild. It's wild. Mm. And the people that live there, they there's people that are there right now that still remember the IRA Mm. and they remember all the bombings and Mm -hmm. the terrorists and the horrible things that people from both sides of Ireland mm. did to each other. They're two mm-hmm. totally different countries. Northern Ireland's a completely different country than, than Ireland mm. because of that. And because yeah. of, and a lot of it was wrapped up in religion. And I mean, we don't want to think that that could happen. But whenever you have this thing where you're against someone who's not on your on your team, that could that could take place. You could have like a peaceful coexistence like Baptists do with Methodists. Or you, or it could be fucking horrible, mm. and you could other that person, and it's just a part of human programming. So I agree with the new atheist about how many problems have been caused by religion, and I'm an atheist myself. I didn't, I grew up with no religion. On the other hand, the empirical literature suggests that religious people tend to be happier, mm. and also suggests that conservatives tend to be happier than liberals. And that's a very interesting finding to me because I grew up in a very secular, liberal context, was never even tempted by religion, really. Um, Like, you know how they say there's no atheists in foxholes? Right. I'd be an atheist in a foxhole. Like, I wouldn't even believe in God, I think, if my, like, it just, it's nowhere in me. But it's an interesting and pretty verified result, I think, at this point that conservatives tend to be happier than liberals less mental illness and the religious tend to be happier than the secular so then the question becomes why is that is it because they believe in religion or is it uh explained by a third variable is it correlation without causation is it that religious people have communities they have somewhere to go to where they see familiar faces every sunday Mm. and atheists lack that or they don't have it automatically and it's certainly a factor i think it's unquestionably a factor got to be a factor yeah yeah people need community It, it is absolutely a part of us and one of the things you see in primarily secular places like if you think about new york city 
there's so many people, but yet they're not friends with each other, and they're all stacked <laughs> on top of each other. Yeah. I was talking to my friend Jim Norton the other day. He's like, I've lived next door to my neighbor for 10 years. I have no fucking idea who he is. Yeah. And they all just live in this giant stack of humans that they don't know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's normal. I've had culture shock when I've come to the South because I grew up in North Jersey right outside of New York, and I didn't realize that un- until I came to the South, until I hung out in Florida and even the Midwest, that people in the Northeast aren't as nice. <laughs> <laughs> I have a theory for that. What, what's your theory? Well, my, my primary theory for why people are so wild on the East Coast, because <laughs> they are wild and aggressive, is because those are the ancestors of the people that fucking came across on boats. Mm-hmm. They were people that took a crazy ambitious chance. Ambitious people. Yeah, before yeah. YouTube. Competitive, ambitious yeah, people. just, and mean. I mean, just the, the echoes of the past. If you watch Gangs of New York, you ever watch that movie? But, you know, we think of New York City as this metropolitan. It used to be a a horrible, crime-ridden, murderous place to be. And at the turn of the century, when people were coming over here from Europe, the, the, the people that came here from all parts of the world, those people came from somewhere that sucked, and they took a wild, crazy chance to try to make it in America. And it was probably very aggressive, and it was during the time of the Depression. So you're dealing with, like, really fucking scared people mm. and really desperate people. And you're dealing with, like, very aggressive culture. And then... A lot of people are like, fuck this, I'm going west. And they just kept going. Mm. They just kept going until the, on the west coast of the country, whether it's because of the entertainment industry or was it because of the amazing climate. I think there's a combination of those two. That became like the most progressive, the least aggressive, the most open-minded. Like when I heard, I used to hear about fighters coming from California. I'd be like, how good could he be? <laughs> That's what I used to think when I was a kid. I was thinking, you're going to get a good fighter. They're all going to come out of the mm, cities. Mm. They're all going to come out of places where there's like a lot of hardship and, mm. and people are like push and shove and you're going to get your ass kicked at school all the time. And then you get a few dudes that grew up in the South that lived, you know, in like hard scrabble neighborhoods, coal mining communities. Mm-hmm. They were badasses too. Mm-hmm. There's the hobos like Jack Dempsey, the dudes who rode the fucking railroad trains and just hard men who did hard jobs and they were mm-hmm. scary too. But once you got to California, yeah. those dudes, what's well, a ridiculous thing to think, yeah. but that it comes out of this thing where the people that arrived there, they dealt with, th- those are the people that stayed. They're the people that like mm-hmm. l- were fine with that or didn't know another way of life. I watched the, uh, I watched like five or six hours of the New York history documentary, New York City history documentary by Rick Burns. Oh, I haven't seen it. You know Rick Burns? I've heard of him. Yeah, Ken Burns' brother that no one mm-hmm. talks about. It's just it's funny to me that Ken Burns <laughs> has a brother that makes exactly Ken Burns style documentaries. That is kind of funny. Great, by the way. It's not he's not like worse than his brother. I don't think I've seen any. But of his no stuff. one ever talks about him. I don't think I've seen any of his stuff. Um, Anyway, he has like a mega marathon New York City history documentary that's fantastic. And what's it called? I think it's just I think it's just called New York. Rick Burns New York. You need to like get buy a subscription within Amazon Prime to get it. It's really annoying, but worth it. And get buy a subscription? Or you have to I get a subscription you, you, to Amazon Prime? With, within Amazon Prime, there's like a PBS package or something. Oh, it's another thing you pay for? Yeah, you have to pay for it. Those fucking people sitting on the, the, yes. the beam over this the city is, freaks yep. me out. And um, Leather soles, slippery-ass shoes. Yep. And they, they have footage of building the Empire State Building. And these guys are just like tossing 
hot rods to each other, <gasps> like 20 feet away from each other, just a- absolutely insane um, way of living. And and from there, I learned that the Empire State bu- Building was supposed to be a parking spot for a blimp or a, or a dirigible, whatever it's called technically. Really? That was the pretext for why they had to build the spire higher. It, it was It was total bs because they wanted to get it over the christ the chrysler building so they said we got to park blimps here that's why we need this tall thing and then they tried to park a blimp but they didn't even build it to really work or be practical it was just a pretext for why they needed to get higher than the chrysler building but there there is a picture of i don't know if it's a real picture or if it was the kind of the blueprint of the empire state building with a blimp uh parked Hold that thought because I really have to pee. Yeah. But I want to talk about this more. We'll be right back. Okay. (laughs) So the blimp, New York City, um, Empire State Building. Um, Someone's going to yell at me for calling it a blimp because it's actually a a dirigible. Dirigible. And I I don't know the the difference. difference. I think it's the structure. I think it's the exterior structure. Yeah. Anyway. So dirigible has an exterior structure, whereas I think uh, a blimp is just a balloon. Is that the case? So it parked it there. And that was why they said they needed to do it. And people yeah. walked onto that fucking thing from and there. They tried to do it for about five minutes or something and it didn't work. And then they said, ah, oh, screw that. But at least we're taller, taller than the Chrysler building now. Uh, when I was reading it, that, it didn't work because it was super fucking windy, which it obviously is in New York City. Right. Oh my so, God. so they didn't, they didn't, they didn't plan for wind? For they a did, fucking giant balloon? <laughs> <laughs> it was supposed to be the stop for uh, transatlantic Zeppelin flights. Dude. Yeah. How crazy Can you imagine? is that? I had a dream once. It was a really weird dream. It was a dream of, I forget, it was a thousand or a million Teslas. There was a dream that in a parallel universe, it was a very strange dream, and by the way, I've had it more than once. Hmm. I think I've had it at least twice. It was a dream where instead of having one insanely innovative person like Nikola Tesla, there was a thousand of them or a million of them. Hmm. And that the world, and in this dream, I was living in like 1960, and there were blimps everywhere. There was flying crafts everywhere, and uh, it was very different. The world was very different. It was a really strange dream, but it was like the sky was filled with these flying crafts. And, and there was Nikolai Teslas all over the place. Not yes, literally him, but, like but literally, people like him. Not just one guy that everybody like breaks into his apartment after he's dead to get his notes, but thousands of them, millions of them. Like dream, yeah, something like the that. King's Dream of New York. Wow, that's crazy. So this is a kind of very, but in my dream, everything had like a kind of uh, steampunk Hmm. sort of feel to it because Hmm. it was sort of early. You know, it wasn't a dream of today. It was a dream where I was imagining what would the world have looked like if instead of one of these guys in like, when did Tesla live? It was like the 1920s, right? Instead of one of those guys have a shit ton of them Hmm. and that, you know, we are often driven by a few mad geniuses that have just through their own creativity and Tesla's very unusual with his creativity because he talked about how he was kind of like I don't think he said was saying aliens but he was saying that he was receiving this information from somewhere else mm. like he had this see what you find about that because I don't want to misquote him but he had some very bizarre descriptions of where ideas came from. Mm. And I think he felt like he was in communication with something from somewhere else as well. 
Well, I know a lot of artists and musicians have described it that way because yeah. I don't think you know where the idea comes from. I mean, I have a theory. When you're joke writing, yeah. where does it come from? I think ideas are a form of life. I think it's not a life that uses blood and and tissue. I think it's like a different kind of like non-tangible life form mm. that enters into the creative mind mm. and it manifests itself in the form of physical objects. Every physical object that we see on earth from cars to planes to tables was thought of first. A thought came to someone's mind that said, what if I cut this wood and sand it down and put some fucking legs on this bitch and I got some shit to put my, my stuff on. Look at that. I got a table. Like somebody had to think of that. Mm -hmm. And that thing became a real object. The whole earth is covered with these things that human beings have put here because they had an idea. Like, and it's making us make a better version of ourselves. And this is what I think AI is. Mm -hmm. I think what we're doing with this constant thirst for innovation, innovation and also this um, it coincides with our materialistic tendencies. It's like it facilitates it, it helps it. Everyone's so material. You got what do you got? An iPhone six? What's wrong with you, bro? You know, like you need to get the fifteen. It's mm -hmm. USB C now. Oh my god, <laughs> I got to get the fifteen. And everybody's running out. Mm -hmm. And everybody wants to do that. Everybody wants to have the newest, latest, greatest thing. And what does that do? It fuels innovation. Yep. And ultimately, that leads to us creating AI. And this is where we find ourselves. And, and yeah. we, we find ourselves in this weird situation like, okay, who's in control of AI? And if someone really does invent a better form of AI and uses it to hijack the economic system, to hijack, who knows? Just you have insane amounts of power. If yeah. you have an insane mind and the ability to innovate far beyond the capabilities of the human mind. Someone, uh, some people have been arguing, I, th I think they're probably right that the safest way to build AI is to have lots of people build it mm. separately because then no one AI will be decentralized. Right. Right. Rather than try from the top down, the government to say, okay, we got to build this safely. We're going to take charge. We're going to regulate everything. We're going to put, we're going to make you put the seatbelt on to have multiple parties at the same time all over the world doing AI. It may guarantee or may help uh, uh, ensure that no one of them becomes so powerful that they exist unopposed by yes. others. Well, it'd be right? very irresponsible if you were a superpower and you didn't do work with AI. Yeah. And China does, or yeah. Russia does, or right. Iran does. Right. That would be irresponsible. So you would ha you'd yeah. really kind of have to do that. So you remember when people were asking for a six-month pause? Yeah. You, you heard about that? Yeah. China's I, not going to China's pause. not going to pause. I mean, this is... <laughs> Sometimes the smartest people in the world don't have common sense. Well, they would like the international scientific community to get on board with that, but mm -hmm. they don't have that option in certain parts of the world. They no. just don't. They just don't. And when it's something like AI, something that does have the power to radically transform everything that we see around us, and is probably doing it right now with algorithms that manipulate people's perspectives on all sorts of things, you know, how much of the Twitter beef with the bots and all that stuff, how many, how many of those fake accounts are being run by AI? 
how many of them are being generated by programs? I would just assume at this point, it's not zero. Mm-hmm. It's not zero. And we know that that's a real factor in making sure that people are constantly pissed off at each other and fighting back and forth. There's just certain foreign and domestic interests that have a, a vested responsibility to do that. Like this is what, this is what they're trying to do. Like, mm-hmm. This is like, this is my job. I gotta go out and make people mad about abortion. Mm-hmm. I gotta go out and make people mad about the border. I gotta go out and make people mad about this. And they just, they're running programs that are having people argue with people, like constantly, mm-hmm. all the time. I mean, I'm sure you've seen when someone, like someone will like highlight some sort of a tweet about a particular thing, and then you put that tweet in a search engine and you will see thousands of people oh, tweeting the exact that. same thing. Wow. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild, and there's less sophisticated versions and more sophisticated versions, and then there's actual physical bad actors, human beings that are doing it, you know, and they're doing it very creatively, and that was uh, one of the things that Renee DeResta investigated when she was looking into um, what was going on with uh, Facebook and these troll farms and the Internet Research Agency in Russia and how mm-hmm. they were manipulating social media arguments. They, one of the things she noticed that they had organized a uh, Texas secession rally right across the street from some Islamic rally. And did people show up? Yeah. Sure, people showed up. I, I think I learned from her, too, that they had uh, organized a BLM rally and people showed up. That's wild. They also organized – well, one of the crazy things they did was out of the top 20 Christian Facebook sites, 19 of them were run by troll farms. Wow. <laughs> So all the, you know, the hateful rhetoric and all the, you know, all that stuff run by people who are just trying to get people angry at each other. Now, I will say that said, I love GPT-4. You know, oh, chat, chat GPT. I love it. I use it almost every day. It's like a, a smart buddy that will do whatever I tell him to do. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. And even when I don't don't agree with him, I can have a fun or intelligent exchange with him that makes me smarter yeah it's just so much fun it's very interesting we use I like it all the throw time on a the documentary show. and everything i don't understand explain this to me are you sure about that wow. well i heard that you know it's like it's fantastic there's, there's i strangely meet a lot of people that don't like it at all why either because they well they feel that it's not smart enough to interest them that's the first thing and I don't I really don't get that. It's smart enough to be interesting. It's smarter than a lot of people. Why would they say it's not smart enough to interest I, them? This is I hear I hear this all the time. I they say, "Oh, it's Who not, it's not really that intelligent. Um it's just uh it's just feeding you talking points. It can't really think, you know, for itself." Come on, man. If people you don't still see this. that as the seed of something that's going to be infinitely more intelligent oh, yeah. than human beings, you're <laughs> foolish. I think so, too. Yeah, that's that's a person that... That ship has sailed. Yeah, but then, you know, that falls into this... People don't want to be duped by things. They don't want to be the person that... That fell for the hype. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, the hype is real this time. Well, it's and real just, as fuck. If you don't, a lot of people are still on 3.5 because they, they don't want to or can't pay 20 bucks a month. Go to GPT-4 and really have a conversation with it about anything. Tell me it's not smart. It's very smart. Yeah. It's very, And it's also just the beginning. I had yeah. Sam Altman on the podcast. Mm. We had a pretty long discussion about this. And um, I feel like it's, it's inevitable. And I think it's part of 
it was a part of our history before it was ever written. We are going to make a better version of ourselves. And one of the, one of the things we're going to do first is create some sort of sentient intelligent that might sentient intelligence that may or may not be physical. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll be it may, it may exist only in terms of running programs, but it's going to be smarter than us. And one day someone's going to put that in a physical object or one day we're going to allow that thing into our own brains. We're going to develop some sort of an ability to utilize that and a universal language would be one of the quickest things that it could do. Mm. So it would change the way people communicate with each other because there would be no longer not neither a cultural boundary nor a language boundary. You'll be able to understand the way a person thinks based on their actual thoughts mm. versus the rhetoric and what they're thinking and saying it might be two different things. But you'll, you'll be able to recognize that instantaneously. There'll be no ability to lie. There'll be no bottleneck between information and your ability to acquire it. Mm. It'll be instantaneous. And I think we're going to change what we are fundamentally. And it may overall be, it may overall be the thing that saves us. Because if we truly can understand that we are all connected and we are all the same thing, and that the only thing that separates us is where we were from, what, how we grew up, who we were influenced by, what our genes are, what our environment is, all these variables. But the, co- the core of what we are is just human beings. And maybe through a universal language and an ability to communicate universally, like across all, no boundaries, no, no boundaries for expression, no boundaries for understanding, no misconstrued things, no things taken out of context, the ability to recognize the actual thing and you to be able to recognize what you are too because people will confront you. Mm. Like the people that read your thoughts and know your mind would, would, will be able to show you the error. It, it will be almost impossible after a certain point in time to have distorted perspectives because you won't just be a biological human being. Mm. You'll be a biological human being that has interfaced with an insanely intelligent technology that allows you to elevate everything around you. But then again, it's not going to be great. It's not going to be all great. It's not going to be perfect. What are we going to lose? Are we going to lose blues? Are we going to lose mm. the blues? Are we, we going to lose hip hop? Mm-hmm. What are we going to lose? Are we going to lose comedy? Are we going to lose violent movies? Are we going to lose fun? Are we going to lose uh, bungee jumping? What are we, we going to lose? We're going to lose some things. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm We're sure going to we lose will. a lot of thrills and a lot of the chaos of life. You know, maybe all bars will close. Maybe people <laughs> completely stop drinking. What the <laughs> fuck was I doing? You know, oh, now I realize why I needed to mm. re- re- release my uh, inhibitions. Mm. And this is like all just like a, a thing I'm dealing with, a conflict, an internal right. conflict. Right. So I had this lady, Nita Farahani, on my podcast probably a year ago, and then I met her at TED recently, and she she wrote this book called The Battle for Your Brain. She's a professor, uh, I'm forgetting the college, in uh, somewhere in North Carolina, I think. Uh, Maybe Duke. Is that in North Carolina or South Carolina? Am I crazy? Not sure. Um, Which one is it? North. So she, she just had this book, and she's, you know, she pays close attention to the current state and the near future state of mind reading technology and I was absolutely blown away because I did not think that things were possible that are already happening in certain parts of the world for example 
uh, she talked about a factory in China where they're able to, uh, through an ESG and like over scalp ESG scanner, determine whether someone is slacking off by the brain signals being sent uh, from them. Wow. Right. Uh, and apparently it's even possible to simply have a tattoo uh, like kind of behind your ear or somewhere on your face that gets enough of a signal, uh, of an electrical signal from your brain that can then get enhanced to get actual brain readings, like to, to, to read your state of mind, essentially. Just a tattoo? Yeah. Is, yeah, that, is that the mark of the beast? Uh, I don't know. What, what's, <laughs> I don't know. Mark, of the mark of the beast from the Bible. Oh. Well, so this. Well, anyway, so like the full the full thing is to have a a, a a big cap on, right? Okay. And it gets ESG signals, and these signals get correlated with through big data, with states of mind. So so you get enough data, you say, okay, that this signal pattern means you're happy. This signal pattern means you're tired. This signal pattern means et cetera. You get enough data of people talking with ESG and correlate it, uh, perhaps using AI. Then you can get a signal in principle of what does the brain look like when someone is saying the sentence, I'm hungry for a food or whatever. In principle, you could you can mind read with this, right? You can read if if... And, and this apparently has been done in India, according according to Farahani. If someone, if you're in a courtroom, and you ask a witness, "Have you seen this murder weapon before?" They can lie, but there's a neural signature to recognition. This has right? been um, this is very controversial. This is uh, fMRI, correct? Is that what you're uh, talking about? She's she's talking mostly about ESG. ESG. Yeah. So I know that there was, when you brought up India, I know that there was a trial where yeah. someone was convicted of, uh, I think the, the term was functional knowledge of the crime scene. Right. And, but I talked to a neuroscientist that said that would never fly um, over here. Right. That it was something about the court system where this person was convicted that they, if you had, that, 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 that it's simple. You remember when, um, there was a seismologist in Italy that were sued because they didn't accurately predict an earthquake. Do you remember that? No, no. See if you can find that. Yeah, there was a they they literally had to go to trial. They were they were they were they, they had to be acquitted because mm. they were being accused of either negligence or some sort of a. I forget exactly what the charge was, but they were essentially not understanding seismology okay. and the unpredictable yeah. nature of the movement of the earth. Italian seismologists cleared of manslaughter. So they were going to charge them with manslaughter. So six seismologists accused of misleading the public about the risk of an earthquake in Italy were cleared of manslaughter on 10th of November. An appeals court overturned their six-year prison sentences and reduced to two years the sentence for a government official who had been convicted with them. So a magnitude 6.3 earthquake struck the historic town of La Aquila in the early hours of 6 April 2009, killing more than 300 people. The findings by a three-judge appeals court promptly ma uh, prompted many, Le uh, La I don't know how I'm not saying that right, La Aquila citizens 
who were waiting outside the courtroom to react with rage, shouting shame and saying that the Italian state had just acquitted itself, local media reported. But it comes as a relief to scientists around the world who had been following the unprecedented case with alarm. We don't have to be worried about the possibility of being prosecuted if we give advice on earthquakes, says seismologist Ian Main of University of Edinburgh, uh, UK. That would discourage giving honest opinion. The defendants themselves have mixed feelings. Uh, Guilo Selvaggi, former director of the National Earthquake Center in Rome, says that although he is happy to be acquitted, there's nothing to celebrate because the pain of the people of L'Aquila remains. The scientists that end up in court is a consequence of a botched communication in a highly stressed environment. In the months before the major earthquake struck, the region around La Aquila had been subject to frequent, mostly low-magnitude tremors known as seismic swarms. Residents were confused and increasingly alarmed by statements made by a local amateur earthquake predictor who said that he had evidence of an impending quake, although geologists dismissed his methods as unsound. A commission of experts met on 31 March 2009 to assess the scientific evidence and advise the government. According to the prosecution, a press conference after this meeting attended by acting president of the commission, Vulcan volcanologist Franco Barberi, Barberi of the University of Rome, Roma Tre, and the government official Bernardo Di Bernardinis, <laughs> then directly... <laughs> the parents with that name named their kid Bernardo. Bernardo Di Bardinis. <laughs> and then uh, deputy director of the Italian Civil Protection Department conveyed a reassuring message that a major earthquake was not on the cards. Mm. Okay, so the earthquake happened, and so they charged these people with manslaughter. As a consequence... Uh, so, okay, the television interview recorded shortly after the meeting, uh, but aired uh, oh, shortly before the meeting, rather, but aired after it. De Bernardinis, who is now president of the Institute for Environmental Research and Protection in Rome, says that the scientific community tells me there is no danger because there is an ongoing discharge of energy during the seismic swarm. As a consequence, according to the prosecution, when the earthquake struck on 6 April 2029, 20, uh, People chose to stay indoors instead of stepping outside as they otherwise would have done and died as their homes collapsed. All seven members of the ex expert commission were found guilty of manslaughter. And this is 2012. This is pretty recently. After a 13-month trial that transfixed the international scientific community. But I think... I mean, charging them with manslaughter is fucking yeah, crazy. It's insane. Like, it's insane. I don't think they're they're basing it on what they know about earthquakes, and earthquakes are unpredictable. How? Yeah, how predictable are earthquakes? To Not begin very with? predictable. Yeah, that's what I. I was never under the impression that they could be predicted super easily. Oh, brain okay, scanning so. in Chinese factories probably doesn't work if it's happening at all. And this is. Uh, do you remember that <laughs> thing? That video that we watched, Jamie. What was that from? where the girl was sitting in her desk and she was having fantasies about a local a co-worker and you know was like trying to like not have these and then someone in her office because of their brain scanning got uh, convicted of fraud oh no i didn't and see and someone that. that she was directly involved with in some sort of a meeting it was it's a cartoon mm -hmm. but it's it's trying to paint i think it's a world economic forum thing is it it's trying, they're trying to predict this rosy version of a much more productive future mm. if you just submit to letting the company that you work for read your fucking mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just says, and the things that she's citing, is, it's, like, it's really fascinating. But she's talking about how much better her productivity is and she's getting more work done. She's much yeah. more focused because they know when she's not. 
this is somehow you know that video do you remember it so i don't know if that china factory story ends up being true but uh farahani has a lot of other examples in her book of studies that have been done and what's possible and she has this worry about this notion of cognitive liberty that soon we're going to have to decide if the right to privacy extends to our right our um our brain data Right. Well, we've already submitted to this idea that a company can mandate whether you get vaccinated, even Mm -hmm. when it was preposterous. We we submitted to that. Yeah. There was people that I know that had COVID, recovered from COVID, and were required to get vaccinated in order to participate in uh, certain television programs and certain movie programs. I know. I know a professor, a, a music professor, that was required to get the booster already double vaxxed yeah. and had gotten COVID, was required to get the booster on pain of lost work, of not being able to teach. Yeah. And I had a friend that was doing a television show, and the exact same thing. He had gotten COVID. He had gotten vaccinated, but he hadn't gotten boosted. And they, they required him. to get. He's like, I've already recovered from COVID. Like, it's totally unscientific. Mm-hmm. And they required him, and he had to do it. And I think part of the, part of the reason why, you know, someone like RFK is, has so much support and enthusiasm because there's all these people that didn't have Zoom professions, that didn't work from home, right? That, for whom a paycheck was meaningful, who were forced into this thing—not forced—I shouldn't say forced—were pressured, uh, were pressured into additional uh, things that they didn't need. Yeah, and that caused that has caused an understandable backlash. And I think people have there's obviously an age element to this too vaccines were far more important for older folks than for younger folks and and so i think people have really failed to take uh, the compassionate angle towards why people are so interested in a guy like rfk and that 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 is definitely part of it 100 percent. yeah it's all we're in a strange new territory we're we're in a strange new territory with human discourse we're in a strange new ter- territory with ai we're in a strange new territory with global conflicts this is a is a wild time mm. because think about the social media coverage of the uh, israel palestine issue this is one of the first times where you don't need the mainstream news at all to get your information in fact the mainstream news is slower than twitter i've been following the hospital story the past 48 hours all of the mainstream news outlets are like 10 hours behind Twitter. That's very interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. And well, they don't have the con- they don't have the confinements. So they're going to like you said before, they're not professional, so they're going to get things wrong right. too. And there's always that. There's there's a lot of that kind of stuff that goes on, but generally that gets sorted out with free speech. Right. If people are paying attention, but the problem is some people only pay attention to the initial assertions, and then afterwards they miss the corrections. That's right. And there's a lot of people that are doing that now. I've watched people today talk about Israel bombing that hospital. I've, I saw it today, mm-hmm. someone who is, you know, who's talking about it that I follow. I'm like, it's... There are some people that are never going to get the correction. No, they're not going to get it. Yeah. They're going to still be saying it in a year. Yeah. Well, you're gonna always have that. You're 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 gonna have that, and it. But at least we're getting that information quickly. Like the correction was quick, as yeah. opposed to the way it would have been in 1967. 
It's very different. In 1967, it would have taken years to correct. Years, if ever. It would still be up for debate. Right. Who was right or who was wrong. I mean, how long did it take before they admit the Gulf of Tonkin was a false flag? Mm. It took forever. We're, you know, the speed at which we get access to the actual truth is very quick now. It's very different. Have you seen The Last Days in Vietnam? No. That is possibly the best documentary I've ever seen. Definitely top three. I was blown away. It's it's a, just a documentary about our pullout from Vietnam and um, our efforts to get South Vietnamese out. The fact that we waited so long to admit the war was fully lost and that we had to leave. There were people just clinging to the myth that we could still be there a little bit longer, a little bit longer. And the total logistical failure of it, that people were just trying to find helicopters from anywhere in the world to get people off of the rooftop of the embassy and all the South Vietnamese that we abandoned that ended up in concentration camps. It was one of the, maybe the best war-related documentary I've ever seen in my life. Wow. It was, uh, I, I teared up. It, it was just incredible. It's just so hard. And it was very reminiscent of our exit from Afghanistan as well. When you look at how many people we abandoned to the Taliban, yeah, who who were our collaborators who worked with us, mm-hmm. it's yeah. heartbreaking. Yeah, it's yeah. horrific. And again, it points to this thing that we were speaking of earlier that we would think that we would know better by now, mm-hmm. that we've learned from the the horrors of the past, but yeah. apparently we haven't. There's also the realities of war that are available to you now, like how much. Russian Ukraine footage have you seen from people's GoPros mm. and, and cell phone footage? Mm-hmm. It's insane. You get to see like actual videos of war crimes, torture. Mur- I saw a guy get murdered with a sledgehammer. You're, you're seeing people yeah. get shot when it's, they're on the insane. ground. You're, you're seeing like real high resolution footage of some really horrific shit. That is what actual war is. Not this sort of sterilized, I support this because I got a flag in my Twitter bio and you go over there and do the right thing. And it's a moral imperative that we support these people. Like, that's the actual reality of what you're supporting. War is hell. It's hell. It's hell. The apocalypse exists. It just doesn't exist right here. <laughs> it exists. In parts of the world, it exists. Mm-hmm. And then there's the insane fact that these people are tweeting about these things on phones that you can literally trace if you go back down the supply chain literally made by slaves who are using materials that are pulled out of the ground in some of the most inhumane horrific conditions on earth right now that pregnant women women carrying their babies in their back are digging cobalt out of the ground and yeah. that's getting into your phone and that's what you're using to tweet about inequality it's <laughs> wild you know i read this book recently called in defense of capitalism by uh i, I think he's like a northern european uh guy and he mentioned this this episode where unesco banned child labor in uh either in pakistan or bangladesh and did a follow-up study of the kids that were no longer in those child labor factories. 
and some crazy proportion of them had gone into child prostitution because that was their <sighs> that was their alternative. Their alternatives in life were work in the factory or sell your body. Oh my god. And and so the question becomes the people working in those cobalt mines, what are their alternatives? Realistically, from their perspective, what is this cobalt mine better than that they're choosing to come here if they are choosing? If they're not choosing, then they're slaves. You know. Right. It's 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 a it's a very grim reality. It's a very grim reality that's currently happening. That's one of the the strangest things about these things that when they're not happening to you right now, it's very difficult to wrap your mind around what would be like if your role of the dice was you were born in Karachi mm. or you were born in you know, just name the place, name the troubled place on earth. You were born in Beirut, you were born wherever it is. Name that spot. You were born in Libya. Name it. Just luck luck of the universe of of karma of whatever the fuck you want to believe but it's just luck and if you're born in north korea you're fucked you're fucked and no one's coming to save you and that's real and that's real right now in 2023 and the only thing that stops that from happening is people who have good intentions making sure that we engineer a future that's better for everybody and I don't know how you do that. How do you do that with all these different special interests? How do you do that with the military industrial complex? How do you do that with education being halfway sideways? How do you do that? How do you do that with the immigration crisis, the f fucking political discourse in mm. this country? Like, mm. it's... Though despite it all, life seems to get better generation after generation. If you, anyone yeah. you or I know talks to their grandparents, nine out of 10, we have a better life than our grandparents. Nine out of 10, 100%. So despite all of it, the world chugs along uh, and improves bit by bit. That's not inevitable. It can backslide, it could all end tomorrow. Yeah. But we managed to make progress and that progress is important. The progress is important, it's not guaranteed. Um, and during the time of the Mongols, <laughs> it was definitely not yeah. not good. And the the, the thought is, <clears throat> During your lifetime, it might go sideways, but ultimately it'll level back out. Yeah, like and, the stock market. And or it may. Yeah. It may. But I think sometimes that takes a long time. Mm -hmm. A long time. And that's um, one of the things that I've become very fascinated with from my discussions with uh, Randall Carlson and Graham Hancock is the Younger Dryas Impact Theory. And it's mm -hmm. a, a theory that somewhere around 11,800 years ago, the end of the Ice Age was caused by us getting hit by comets. Mm. And it probably wiped out most civilization. Mm. And when we're looking at, when we're looking at the um, Mesopotamians and ancient Sumer, we're looking at a rebuilding mm. of civilization. Not the emergence of civilization, but a rebuilding of civilization. What that means to me is that from 11,800 years ago to 6,000 years ago, it was probably pretty fucking horrific. Mm pretty horrific for a long time people probably barely made it and the people that did make it were probably monsters and then it took a long time for everything to settle back down again and people start inventing mathematics again and start rebuilding structures and start using agriculture and all these different things that they probably had already harnessed when they were building the pyramids they probably already harnessed all that they were probably as advanced if not more advanced than us that we are is 
Or take Graham two. Hancock, yes. <laughs> Graham Hancock likes to say that we're a civilization with amnesia. And that seems like archaeologists were pushing back against it for a long time, but they seem to be backing off of that now for a bunch of reasons. One, because of the physical evidence. There's a lot of real physical evidence of ancient cultures that were far more sophisticated than we give them credit for. Uh, specifically Gobekli Tepe and some of these places in Turkey that they found 11,000-year-old complex stone structures mm. back when people were supposed to be much more primitive. And they really don't know the actual dates of the pyramids. They've just carbon dated some genetic material, some, some material that's inside the, the, like the cracks of the stones and stuff on the surface. But they don't know when they actually put it down. It's just kind of guesswork because easily it could have been work that was done thousands of years later by people who found it. Like they don't really know. I hear this stones. said all the time. Do, is it now known how the pyramids were built or is it still an unknown? No idea. Not just no idea. Is there a leading theory? Nope. They're all bullshit. And the thought behind it is the, the real problem is some of these fucking things weighed 50, 70 tons and they were taken from quarries hundreds of miles away through the mountains. At the very most recent, what the, what, what the mainstream archaeologists believe, was 2500 BC. Somehow or another, back then, they had the ability to move 70 ton blocks of stone through the mountains from hundreds of miles away and get it to Giza. And not just that, but build 2,300,000 of them into a perfect pyramid that points almost exactly to due north, south, east, and west, and that at one point in time was covered in smooth limestone. This, what we see now is like jagged. It's because people looted it, and they mm. took the limestone off the surface of the pyramid. People are monsters. They found this thing that far more intelligent people built a long fucking time ago, and they, they rummaged through it and stole shit. But whoever those people were and whatever they did and how they did it and how long ago they did it, what they did we can't do today, no matter what anybody says. Mm. They, I think the number was if they cut and placed 10 stones a day, it would take you 600-plus years to make one pyramid. Ten of these massive stones that they move into place 4,000-plus years ago at least. Like how? How'd you do it? No one knows. No one knows. It's all guesswork. They don't even know what they did, how they cut it. They, they only had, supposedly had copper tools back then. They don't know how they cut those things. They don't know how they moved them. There's evidence of drill marks. There's like all these different um, pieces of stone that have, look, looks like a tubular diamond drill has gone into it. They don't know what the fuck that is. So Graham Hancock's theory is then that this was an advanced civilization that this got destroyed. Is not yeah, not just his, but many people now mm. are, are coming on board with this. But there's also core samples. They've taken mm. core samples of Earth, and when they get to that point in time at eleven thousand eight hundred years ago, they find high levels of iridium in certain parts of the Earth, which is very common in space and very rare on Earth. They also find nano diamonds that are, that come from impacts, and I, I think they call it tritonite or trinit trinitite like after the Trinity bomb, because when they did detonate the Trinity bomb, they found this same sort of micro glass because of the explosion. It's just extreme amount of energy slamming into dirt, and it makes these micro diamonds. And they find those also at that level of mm. 11,800 years. And they think it was not just that one time. They think it probably happened again somewhere around 10,000 years ago as well, maybe multiple times throughout history. And they think it's also the same um, comet storm that we passed through that led to the Tunguska event. Do you know about that? Mm-mm. 
I think that was in the 1920s. There was an area of Siberia where I think it was like more than a million acres of trees were devastated. And what they think happened was we passed through that comet shower and something blew up in the environment upon re-entry, upon, you know, entry into our environment, into our atmosphere, and blew up over. It didn't actually impact, but it detonated above it. And I think to this day, it's still flattened. To this day, I don't think there's trees Why would it detonate above it? Just on re-entry, sometimes they blow up, Mm, you know, mm. shooting stars. When you see see a shooting star and it gets really bright and then it stops, that's because it's burned up upon entry. Right. But something might be so big that when it burns up upon entry, it just explodes. Mm. And this Tunguska event, there's wild speculation. I was listening to um, a Radio Lab podcast where there was a scientist who was speculating that perhaps it was a very tiny black hole that um, impacted the Earth. And but th- there's a lot of debate as to whether or not that's valid. I don't know. I'm not smart enough to understand that. But they do believe that that time that the Tunguska event happened coincides with the time where Earth goes through this regular period of uh, comet activity because mm. we we pass through this uh, comet cloud. I think it's every November and every June. Mm. See if you can find that Tunguska thing, because I think to this day it's still flattened. I mean, it just devastated this area. Wow. And it's pretty wild when you see the original pictures of it. Yeah. It just, all these trees are just flattened. It's like, this is, that's what it looks like now, still to this day, which is crazy. But if you look at the other images of what it looked like when they discovered it, after it happened, I mean, just imagine. So you have this dense forest. If you see that black and white, or excuse me, Jamie, the color image again, the color image of what it looks like now. Now imagine what it looked like back then. Well, that whole area was covered with trees too. And something detonated, they think, right above it. And it just, boom, just flattened out everything. Wow. Yeah, so it was 1908. That's what it was. And they think that this has happened many, many, many times in human history. There's, they found these big impact sites in Greenland. They found them off the coast of Australia. They found these things, obviously, um, where the dinosaurs died, you know, the, the mm. off of Mexico. That, that, that happens. That's, that's a thing that happens. And when it does happen, we get knocked back into the fucking Stone Age. And the same thing could happen with nuclear war. It could be the same thing, same kind of thing, mm-hmm. where we reach this incredible level of sophistication, but everything that our sophistication is based on in terms of your ability to acquire that information is all either electronic or paper. I mean, all that stuff is like so easy to destroy. It's like if we didn't have computers, if we, if we died, if there was some walking dead type situation, and all the people that run computers and all the people that run the power grid, they all die. And then we have these hard drives four or five hundred years from now. Mm. Like they're not going to be worth anything anymore. They're going to be they're going to be gone. They're right. going to be laying around. They won't won't feed us. They're they're, they're not, they're not gonna, you can't light them on fire to cook food over. So we're just going to leave them on the ground, and those things are going to rot and they're just going to disappear. And the earth's going to swallow them up, and there's going to be no evidence of them. They'll just to completely be absorbed by the earth. Mm. And that's probably why we don't find anything, you know, from whatever the technology was that these people had that they were able to invent the pyramids mm. because whatever the fuck they had that there's there's these bizarre stones where it looks like they've somehow or another scooped out sections of stone that it looks like it was done with like 
some unknown technology. They speculated all sorts of different things, like different kinds of energy systems that they would have used to cut this stone in this manner. But it's, I mean, some of the stones in the Great Pyramid are cut so precisely, you can't even get fucking a razor blade in between them. Mm. And they just stacked these things on top of each other and made this perfect structure. It's amazing that there's no leading theory. That's good. Like, they have I, I, theories, but they're kind of horseshit. But there's no theories that everyone agrees on because no. they're so likely, right? It's almost like this civilization maybe like imagine if you're a civilization that's so advanced that you want to leave evidence of yourself no matter what happens. No matter what happens, this is going to be around. Because this is so crazy. Like even if we do get hit by meteors, even if this the, will survive. Yeah, this will still be here. And then people will go, Oh, we're not the first. Mm-hmm. We, we're a rebuilding. We're a rebuilding. What they did in Africa is above and beyond what we do today in the wildest ways. In the wildest ways. If you've seen people, there's, there's all these demonstrations. There's a guy named Bright Insight who has a YouTube channel. And he's got a, a, just a bunch of stuff on the mysteries of these ancient civilizations and mm. what they were able to accomplish. But he's got this whole series of things like people trying to move 30-ton rocks and how insanely impossible it is, like them putting them on dump trucks and the trucks fall over, trying to wow. place them in the back of pickup trucks as suspensions explode. Like the m- most sophisticated machinery we have today, if you had to move a 70-ton block of stone 500 miles through the mountains, good luck. <laughs> good luck. Tell me how you did it. Tell me how you did it. You didn't even make a road? You didn't even yeah. make a massive road and have these impossibly large metal machines to move this thing? What'd you do? You put logs on the ground and you guys rolled it through the mountains. And how many times did you do it? You did it 2,300,000 times? How long did that take? How'd you cut them? What were you using? How'd you figure out how to make it perfect north, south, east, and west? Why does it have like portals in it that stare at the sun during the summer, summer solstice where it like lines up with yeah. like. Yeah, that's nuts. It's nuts. They were so advanced. They were so advanced. And there's a, a fantastic series called Magical Egypt by this guy uh, that he's been on my podcast twice. He's, he's gone now, unfortunately. But his name was John Anthony West. And he was sort of an, an alternative Egyptologist. Mm. It, was, it wasn't like formally trained in it, but became obsessed with it and learned like so much about the, the mysteries of these ancient cultures and how insanely sophisticated they were and how they have hieroglyphs that date back 40,000 plus years of history. So they depict these kings that modern Egyptologists say, oh, that's just fantasy. Mm. They're just making that up. They don't even, they don't even that's, don't pay attention to that. Pay attention to the stuff from the time period where we tell you it happened. Mm-hmm. Because they talk about kings and people that lived 40,000 years ago. I think they were probably right. I think that's probably real. Mm. I think they probably had some sort of memory of how this all got done. And they probably lost all of it over time. And all of it, due to catastrophe and who knows war they were conquered by the nubians all sorts of things happened to egypt and now it's just like just guessing just but this thing these Mm. structures that are so insane that you just look at them and go how i gotta learn more about this it's wild stuff magical egypt it's called yeah it's a fantastic documentary but but just if i could recommend anybody discussing Mm. it, it's randall carlson and graham hancock and and graham has i always fuck this up it's 
Ancient Apocalypse, right, on Netflix? Yes. And it's a whole series about the evidence that points to ancient civilizations that we can't explain. And we don't know what, who, who built this? Why is it here? Like, how, how is it so sophisticated? And where did this culture go? Like, we don't, like, mm. we know about the Mayans, right? We don't know how they built that stuff. But we do know that they were probably wiped out by plague. It was probably European settlers mm-hmm. came down here and gave them diseases they had no immunity to, yep. and it wiped them out, just like it wiped out 90% of Native American populations. Yep, Native Hawaiians, too. Yes. So we know that that's probably was the end of the Mayan civilization, but we have no fucking idea. Like, what prompted them to do that? Mm. I went to Chichen Itza, and you just look around, and you go, whoa, what did you do? Yeah. How did you guys do this? Yeah. Like what you're you're doing something that people in other parts of the world have no like people in Europe they weren't doing anything like that they're making shit out of fucking bricks and stuff and <laughs> wood stupid inns you know and these people are making these immense structures out of stone mm. and, and and dedicating them to the cosmos mm. it's wild stuff yeah I love these these things where there just is no theory yet yeah so I mean the one I pay most attention to is consciousness. I have lots of philosophers on my podcast. It was my major in college. There's no leading theory of why it is that human beings are conscious as opposed to mere robots mm. or mere lifelike robots. There's no, there's nothing agreed upon. There's no, you know, we're, we're in the pre-Darwin days with respect just to this problem. Like there's no one solved it. And what is it? And is it local? Is it a part of you or are you an antenna? We don't know. There's no theory. I mean, there are theories, but similar to the pyramid, there's nothing agreed upon because there's no evidence that strongly, no evidence or even logic that strongly favors one theory or the other. It's fascinating that people always say it's the mind, but my thought was always been like, imagine if there was a machine and this machine did all these incredible things, but you realize this machine was plugged into the wall. Mm -hmm. And if you pulled that plug out, the machine stopped working. Like, oh, well that's the brain right there. Because you pull that out, it doesn't work anymore. Well, you blow someone's brains out, they can't think anymore. But is that because the brains are where they're thinking? Or is it possible that the brain is receiving consciousness? That consciousness is something that's just a part of the universe. And that we are the embodiment of it in a physical, biological form. But we're just kind of tuning into it. And mm-hmm. we're using the mind. We're using the human brain to tune that in like a radio. It's kind of close to the idea of panpsychism, right? Which is, it's, it's as respected now a theory as all of the, the other theories. Uh, which is just that consciousness is in every atom in yeah. microcosm. And when you put enough atoms together in some kind of way, uh, you get advanced consciousness. But, you know, by that logic, the table would have some rudimentary form of consciousness. It would yes. just be nothing like an animal, nothing like a dog, which is nothing like a human. Um, but, and as, as nuts as that sounds, it is on a par with all of the other theories. None of the other theories have more evidence for them than that one. It's a deep mystery that science, despite its enormous successes over the past 400, 500 years, is no closer to an answer about now than it was, you know, 100 years ago. But isn't that always the case? Like, if you stopped and think about what life would be like 
if you lived before they understood that uh, viruses existed or what, what caused them or uh, what bacteria was, what caused infections, when, they, you know, when surgeons didn't even wash their hands, they didn't even know. They didn't have any idea. It, their understanding of what these things are was based entirely on what people had already figured out, and this is, they couldn't imagine a world. Where, imagine if you lived before bacteria was discovered. Imagine a world where someone tried to explain to you. Now, there's like these little tiny invisible things. That's mm-hmm. what's fucking you up. Like, what are you talking about, dude? Yeah. Hey, you need a microscope to see them. Like, what, a microscope? But Philip Goff, who's a philosopher, he made a very good point to me because I, I made that exact same argument to him. I said, isn't this just another one of all the p- big paradigm shifts that mm-hmm. we've had? And he made the good point, which is that the whole idea of science is premised on what is observable, what you can empirically observe. All of the great discoveries of science in one or another form have been based on observable evidence. Even things that are too small to see, they have effects that can be measured, and we can test different theories by looking at observable things. Consciousness is about the unobservable. And so in some deep way, science was not designed to answer the question, right? The, the, like I, you wouldn't know that I was conscious if you couldn't tell that you were conscious and you, you extend the courtesy, the analogy to me. You, I, I figure Coleman's conscious. He's a thing like me. There's something it feels like to be this flesh. So I'm going to assume that there's something it's like to be Joe Rogan. There's, the lights are on in there, and it's not just you're not just a, a humanoid robot that, is, that has advanced AI, but there's no feeling, right? right. Um, how does science deal with a problem like that? Because the evidence of consciousness is unobservable from the outside by definition. I cannot observe that you're conscious. You just know it because you know it. Right. That's not like other scientific problems we've solved. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, it makes it in principle much more difficult of a question to solve because what would an answer even look like? Yeah. Yeah. And yet it's kind of the most interesting question from my perspective. Indeed. Yeah, what is it? What is it? In- because according to the laws of physics, the laws of chemistry, but everything that is known in biology, chemistry, and physics, there is no reason why we should be feeling something in addition to doing stuff. You know? But doesn't it motivate you to do more stuff? You can, you can create a robot that does, that, that has the incentive structure of motivation without the feeling right but you'd have to create it but you'd have to be a thing that understood those things in order to create it the uh, assumption is that through evolution there's been like determining factors that favored that sort of thinking and behavior Mm -hmm. because those determining factors allowed you to create tools shelter devise strategies to avoid problems you've experienced in the past and that all this would be beneficial to passing mm-hmm. on your genes. Yes. Yeah. But why does why does evolution have to come with this additional thing of having feelings? Right. But it just why does it have ba- bacteria to? evolve? <laughs> but don't vi- vi- feel- viruses evolve. But don't feelings motivate behavior? And doesn't behavior motivate innovation? Like all those things sort of they work in conjunction to make sure we keep progressing. Yeah, they do, but but this extra variable of consciousness is is not necessary for any of that. Like we you could build a robot that 
hunted in principle. The laws of physics allow for that you could build a robot that hunted and tried to procreate and did all this kind of stuff, but there's nobody home. Well, that's animals. That's what we like to think about it with predators. It's like we like to think about it. Probably, yeah. I okay, assume let's animals say, have some let's say rudimentary feeling. Right, but right. if we get down to certain really yeah. ancient creatures like crocodiles, yeah. we don't assume that. We assume cro- Have you ever seen the video? There's a lady that's like uh, feeding crocodiles. She's like throwing chickens into this uh, crocodile pit. No. And this one crocodile reaches over and grabs the other crocodile's foot and just bites it and does a gator roll and just <laughs> snaps his foot off and chokes it back and swallows it. And he doesn't even budge. <laughs> He doesn't even budge. Like that thing is the thing you're talking about. That's like the biological robot that just consumes. Watch this. This lady's throwing the food out there. So watch. This crocodile dives on it. And this one just grabs that guy's foot. And look, spins, pops the foot off. Oh my God. And then just chokes it down. Look at that. Because he thinks it's food. And the other one doesn't even budge. (laughs) And I think they regenerate. Do crocodiles Mm. regenerate limbs? They may regenerate. About a foot, but maybe a. T- oh, no. Let's see. No, let me see. Uh, certain really primitive animals regenerate, which is pretty fucking wild. Like you chop their hand off, a new mm-hmm. one grows back. Uh, mm-hmm. Do crocodiles do that? No. No. What animals do regenerate? Some lizards can regrow their tails. Not all of them. None can regrow their limbs. Ah, interesting. So it's only tails. Now tails. this says alligators are now the largest species known to regrow. Oh. <laughs> this is from the Smithsonian. Hold okay, on. so is it saying regrow limbs? Uh, God damn it. Young gators can sprout new tails that reach up to nine inches. New tails, young ones. Regrow severed. Now this, this, has this really, it says regrow severed limbs right on top. Yeah. Alligators are now the largest species known to regrow severed limbs. It's not a crocodile, though. But, but it's gators. Uh, I think they're pretty similar. Despite being reptiles, little is known about whether or not alligators could regenerate their thick, massive tails. Gators can reach 15 feet in length, weigh up to 1,000 pounds, so regrowing a tail is no small feat. But in a surprising new discovery, scientists found that young American alligators can regrow their tails up to 9 inches, or around 18% of their body length. What does it say about their limbs, though? Are they considering a tail a limb? Is that why they're saying it that way? I guess, yeah. And this is even saying that one might have started regrowing away from the body or it was in a pickle jar. Look at this. Further analysis revealed that the tail had grown back after it was severed. Using a high-tech imaging technologies and traditional dissection, the researchers found that the gator's tail regrew cartilage, connective tissue, and skin instead of bone and skeletal muscle. The findings revealed that American alligators have more regenerative abilities than, ma- than mammals, says that mammals, Oh, that, oh, I see. That mammals, which usually grow nerves, skin, and blood vessels, but less than lizards, which can p- sprout entirely new perfect tails with skeletal muscle. So lizards can grow a real new tail. So they're smaller. That's what it is. But can lizards regrow limbs? I don't think it's saying anything other than tails. Yeah, they're, so they're saying limbs, but they really just mean tails. It's... I suppose, but yeah. But I'll see. I'll I, I believe feet. there's an animal that regrows limbs, which is fucking wild. Boy. I think I think octopi do. Some do they? Yeah, I think so. Animals. Such I never as watched lobsters, that. Uh, catfish. That lobsters. Yeah, lobsters movie. do. That's right. That's one of the reasons why they chop lobsters' uh, claws off and throw mm. them back in the water. Because they can just, regrow them. Yeah, they'll do that with crabs too. Mm. They just chop their claws off. See you, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Throw them back in the water, and then they grow more claws. 
Just, the thing is, like, to my point, why isn't your spleen conscious? Maybe it is. Maybe oh, your entire wait, body is one conscious entity, and when you cut things out of it, it fucks up the system. You know, maybe your spleen has its own point of view, where it's like, oh, I'm I'm Coleman Spleen. He doesn't really know about me. I'm doing my best to do my stuff, and I feel things. And well, I'm, what about I'm, gut I'm working bacteria? hard today, but I'm going to work less hard if I finish this. You know, well, there's a lot of observable data about gut bacteria and human behavior. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's gut bacteria linked to depression, linked to all sorts of uh, ailments and mental disorders, and mm-hmm. which is fascinating. Because mm-hmm. like if you have a disruption of the organisms that live inside of you, like there's who knows how many. Uh, someone said once that there's more E. coli living in your gut than there have ever been humans ever. Yeah. And so there's bacteria that exists in your body. your body you're like this host of life Mm. and whether or not that is healthy bacteria or unhealthy can determine the way you think Mm. it can determine cravings for sure it like the the type of gut bacteria what is that stuff that there's like a certain type of gut bacteria that people get when they eat too much sugar Mm. makes you want more sugar Mm. candida yeah it's wild so what do you take for gut biome well, I think there's probiotics that you can take that can mitigate some of those issues, um, but it's also healthy diet and, you know, and feeding yourself the correct foods because you want your body to have the real building blocks to, to be healthy and to regrow tissue instead mm-hmm. of just stuffing your face with stuff that tastes good, right? you know, which gets you addicted to that. And it's just weird, empty calories filled with sugar, but so addictive and so bizarre that that's a normal part of the human diet. And that some study recently said that something like 40% of the American diet is processed food. Mm-hmm. It was just, just nuts. It just now, nuts. I was drinking this allulose stuff recently. What's that? Uh, allulose, they have it in Soylent. It's what makes Soylent sweet. It's an um, alternative sugar. But it it basically causes diarrhea to everyone <laughs> at some dose. So for me, it caused diarrhea if I had drank two. Two like gives one you diarrhea. Two gives, one, you're my, good. My girlfriend gets diarrhea one sip. And everyone just has a threshold. And also, is my understanding is it's not approved at all in Europe. So when I learned that, I just said, I should probably cool off on this, not drink it every day until we have a little more information that this is okay in yeah. the long run. But it tastes great, and it's not technically sugar. So they can they can say uh, Soylent has zero sugar but tastes amazing. Oh. So And this feels too good to be true. My mother told me, Whenever something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah. So I stopped drinking it, uh, although it's really good. Do you know the difference between, like, net carbs and actual carbs? Mm. You know they're allowed to say things like net carbs? Net net of what? Yeah, what exactly. Mean? So, like, if you look at something and it's like, oh, this only has, like, two grams Wait, of are there negative carbs? carbs that are being... No, no, it's not that. <laughs> it's just there's other factors. Mm. Like net carbs, like outside of sugar, outside of this other, mm. but how does your body process it? Like net carbs, I think, find out if this is true. I think it was a phrase that was invented by uh, Atkins when they were doing the Atkins diet, when they were trying to label things in terms of like, they were trying to make things more low carb seeming. But I think it's, mm. kind, of a de- it's kind of a deceptive term. Mm. Someone was explaining online. 
and I just glanced at it really quickly, and I didn't get the deep dive on it. But I is that what it is? According to the Wall Street Journal, Atkins coined the phrase in 2001 to sidestep guidelines. Yeah. So Atkins coined the phrase net carbs back in 2001 to step, sidestep the FDA's existing guidelines. Atkins labels will drop the term net carbs. So what, <laughs> what is net carbs? Okay, the concept net carbs was first introduced in 2002 when, researchers, when research demonstrated fiber had a minimal impact on blood sugar. So is it carbs minus fiber then? I think so. So what does it say? When a carb is not a carb, the net carb debate. Click on that. Okay. Uh, when is a carb not a carb? That's the question many carb-conscious dieters are now facing as they struggle to keep their carb counts within the strict limits uh, recommended by Atkins and other low-carb diets. In an effort to cash in on the low-carb craze, food manufacturers have invented a new category of carbohydrates known as net carbs, which promises to let dieters eat the sweet and creamy foods they crave without suffering the carb consequences. But the problem is that there's no legal definition of the net active or impact carbs popping up on food labels and advertisements. The only carbohydrate information regulated by the FDA is provided in the nutrition facts labels, which lists total carbohydrates and breaks them down into dietary fiber and sugars. Any information or claims about carbohydrate content that appear outside that box have not been evaluated by the FDA. The terms have been made up by food companies, says Wahinda Karmali, Dr. PHRD, Director of Nutrition at the Irving Center for Clinical Research at Columbia University. It's a way for the manufacturers of these projects to draw products to draw attention to them and make them look appealing by saying, look, you can eat all these carbs, but you're really not impacting your health, so to speak. Although the number of products touting net carbs continues to grow, nutrition experts say the science behind these claims is fuzzy and it's unclear whether counting net carbs will help or hurt weight loss efforts. So what's a net carb? The concept of net carbs is based on the principle that not all carbohydrates affect the body in the same manner. Some carbohydrates like simple or refined starches and sugars have are absorbed rapidly and have a high glycemic index, meaning they cause blood sugar levels to quickly rise after eating. Excess simple carbohydrates, carbohydrates are stored in the body as fat. Examples of these include potatoes, white bread, white rice, and sweets. Other carbohydrates such, as, carbohydrates such as fiber found in whole grains, fruits, and vegetables move slowly through the digestive system, and much of it isn't digested at all, which is insoluble fiber. Uh, also in these categories, of largely indigestible carbohydrates are sugar alcohols such as mannitol, sorbitol, xylitol, and other polyols, which are modified alcohol molecules that reassemble sugar. These substances are commonly used as artificial sweeteners. In calculating net carbs, most manufacturers take the total number of carbohydrates a product containing and subtract fiber and sugar alcohols because these type of carbohydrates are thought to have minimal impact on blood sugar levels. So, for example, the label on Power Bar's new double chocolate flavor protein carb select bar says it has only two grams of impact carbohydrates. <laughs> the Nutrition Fact label on the product says it has 30 grams of total carbohydrates. <laughs> yes. These people are shameless. Wild. Just below the facts box, the Nutrition Facts box, the impact carb facts box 
provided by the manufacturer explains, fiber and sugar alcohols have a minimal effect on blood sugar. For those watching their carb intake, count two grams. That's 30 grams minus the bar's 27 grams of sugar alcohol and one gram of fiber. But the researchers say, here goes even further. Researchers say that the impact of sugar alcohols on blood sugar levels and the body is not fully understood. In the, and, yeah, and the body's not fully understood. And they may also cause problems in some people. There are some sugar alcohols that can raise your blood sugar, says Carmali. Certain sugar alcohols do have a higher glycemic index, and they are still not counted as carbohydrates by these companies. Yeah, this is shameless. I mean... It's wild. It's a wild though, term. Yeah. It does remind me, though, of what we were talking about earlier with you know, the opioid scandal and uh, Oxycontin. They came up with this notion of breakthrough pain. Yeah. Which instead of saying that Oxycontin doesn't prevent pain for 10 hours, right? That was their 10 or 12 hours, I guess, was their original claim. Instead of admitting that that was false, they had all these people coming after, you know, coming in after three, four hours and the pain is back. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's horrible, back and worse than ever. Instead of admitting that it just doesn't protect you for as long as they said, they said, oh, well, some patients experience breakthrough pain. As if the oxy is doing its job, but certain pain is like breaking through, right? It's blaming the pain as opposed to the drug. Yeah. Uh, that's the way it's, it's framed. Well, remember breakthrough uh, transmissions. Yeah. Yeah. Again, yeah. this is the idea that, oh, COVID somehow broke through the defensive shield of the, of the vaccine rather than claiming, saying it normally, which would be the vaccine doesn't prevent you from getting it again. Right. That would be the normal way to say that rather than to create a, a new concept of a breakthrough infection that is breaking through like a powerful warrior through the shield of, of this substance. It's a weird, a very a backwards way of, of framing what's going on. Right? Well, it's deceptive. And it's, again, this product of money being connected to science. Mm-hmm. Money being connected to medical science, money being connected to nutrition science. How do we make more money? Net carbs. I got this idea. Listen to this. Right. How do we call it net carbs? And so even though it has 30 carbs, people are like, that's too many carbs. Two, net, two grams of net, net carbs. carbs. Ooh, I like it. Can we get away with that? Yeah, no problem. Yeah, glycemic index, bunch of shit. Yeah, we good. we're good. Yeah. Roll it out. Roll it out. So it's not people that are objectively looking at these products and saying, well, we have to be honest about what's in here. And that total, total carbohydrates, no one's going to read that, bro. That's in that little thing at the bottom. That's little, little tiny le- letters. You can't even read it if you don't have eyeglasses on. <laughs> the big total net carbs is like two grams in the front on the label. Yeah. We're good. Most people just look at that and go, oh, two grams of carbs. I'm good to go. That's how they get you. Yeah. And what they are doing is just doing what they do. That's their game. That's yeah. the game. That's the money game. That's what you get if, money. If they don't do it they'll be replaced by someone who will. Or if their company doesn't do it, their company will over time lose revenue to the companies that do. Probably, if that's legal, until people recognize it like they do now. And regulate. And but, regulate, yeah. It's, uh, it's a sneaky world that's gonna be solved with mind reading. We're gonna, figure, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna fix it all. Did you ever find that commercial? The World Economic Forum uh, uh, cartoon about mind reading at work because it's we should probably end with this because it's it's adorable and it's so kooky when you watch it you just go what 
Like this lady is fantasizing about the guy and you see the guy with like a six pack mm-hmm. in a cartoon and you see her coworker getting hauled off, you know, cause the coworker was doing something corrupt and she was worried and she was starting a project with this guy. So it's all labeling all the reasons why you should submit to mind reading. Like, this is going to be great. Yikes. You find it, Jamie? Uh, no, you remember we played it, right? Sort of, but I mean, also, like, that, if it's the same thing as the. Uh, but it was a cartoon. Thing, then it's not real. No, it's a cartoon, though, Jamie. I understand. But, but you mean it's a fake cartoon? Like, it's not real? The, what I'm, I'm, what I was trying to say is that whatever they're trying to depict in the cartoon isn't accurate. They're just no, trying to no, scare no, you. no, 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 no. The, what they're saying is in the future. This is what they're saying in the cartoon. What you can look forward to. Not that they're doing it right now. They're saying you can look forward to when this technology is implemented. It's going to radically increase productivity, and this is how. Mm. And it's going to make people happier, and this is how. I think I have it. Hold on. You got it. Hold on. It's, uh, it's from their whole presentation. It's adorable. What do you watch it? You're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just want to know who looks at this and goes, I like it. So, Here. first off, a video. Uh, it's going to make you see the future and understand a wonderful future where we can. It's wonderful, Coleman. <laughs> We're going to fight, pro- fight crime, Coleman. Future crime. You're in the zone. Even you can't believe how productive you've been. Your memo is finished, your inbox is under control, and you're feeling sharper than you have in a decade. Sensing your joy, your playlist shifts to your favorite song. Sending chills up your spines, the music begins to play. You glance at the program running in the background on your computer screen and notice a now familiar sight that appears whenever you're overloaded with pleasure. Your theta brainwave activity decreasing in the temporal regions of your brain. You mentally move the cursor to the left and scroll through your brain data over the past few hours. You can see your stress levels rising as the deadline to finish your memo approached, causing a peak in your beta brainwave activity right before an alert popped up, telling you to take a brain break. But what's that unusual change in your brain activity when you're asleep? It started earlier in the month. You send a text message to your doctor with a mental swipe of your cursor. Could you take a quick look at my brain data? Anything to worry about? your mind starts to wander to the new colleague on your team whom you know you shouldn't be daydreaming about given the (laughs) policy against intra-office romance. But you can't help fantasize just a little. (laughs) No fucking way. (laughs) Look at him, he's hot. Wait. She notices. She thought about him in a a, thing popped up. Supervisor notices. When the email she sends you later that day congratulates you on your brain metrics from the past quarter, which have earned you another performance bonus. You head home, jamming to the music, with your work-issued brain-sensing earbuds still in. Work-issued. You arrive at work the next (laughs) day. Yeah, look at this. A somber cloud has fallen over the office. Oh, my God. Along with emails, text messages, and GPS locations. Look at the guys with sunglasses. The government has subpoenaed employees' brain... The government has sunglasses on. The men in black. They have compelling evidence that one of your co-workers has committed massive wire fraud. Now, they're looking for his co-conspirators. You discover they are looking for synchronized brain activity between your co-worker and the people he has been working with. While you know you're innocent of any crime, you've been secretly working with him on a new startup venture. Shaking, 
you remove your earbuds. Whoa. Oh, this is who I'm talking about. Yeah, Nita Farahani. Farahani. That's who I had on my podcast. Yeah. Just imagine that as being the future. Oof. That's you know, nuts. Your your supervisor notices you're thinking about something other than work. Hey, Coleman, what are you concentrating on over there? Sorry, sorry. Back to work. I saw you checking out Jessica. Back to work. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Look, you got a performance bonus. You were a good robot. <laughs> Fuck. Nita even told me about situations where a couple would go into therapy and uh, the woman would say to the man, like, I don't know if you really love me. And they'd say, well, we can actually see how he feels when when he sees your face or when he, let's put him in a ESG or, or fMRI and and now we can confirm it. And now he's freaking out. He's like, well, do, do I have to, do I have to play act or should I just feel what I feel or what should I be thinking? Should I try to rig this or, or will my love naturally come through in this sterile environment? And now they have proof that, you know, like this kind of stuff. Well, that is a sterile environment too. It's like that, right. the, the rat farm study, you know, the, what they did with, uh, the rat park study, the, 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 um, the heroin study? Yeah. No? yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think they use cocaine as well? Didn't they use cocaine? Some of the, but the point is that in laboratory environments, harsh, sterile laboratory environments, the rats go immediately to the drugs. Yeah. They just take the drugs because right. they're fucking freaked out. But right. when you put them in rat park, they just drink water. Right. So the rat park is all stuff to play with. There's a lot of space. A lot of other rats are having a good time doing stuff. They don't, they don't get high. They don't get fucked up because it's a much more natural environment. Right. You scan my brain in couples therapy, I might seem like a dick. Yeah, you could. You also might not have wanted to be there. Yeah. And uh, you might be dealing with some fucking nonsense. And you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe I have to go here and deal with this stupid shit. And then you're hostile. And then, wait, Coleman, we're reading that you're hostile. Like, <laughs> exactly. I have things to do. <laughs> this is fucking crazy. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll figure it out before we get to that reality. Hopefully we won't blow ourselves up and have thousands of years of barbaric human behavior before we restart civilization, too. Yeah. Before yeah. take three. Okay, before you leave, because yeah. we've been doing this a long time. What's your take on all this UAP shit? Oh, yeah. So I'm I'm very open-minded to it. I When I originally read the article from David Grutch, uh, not from him, but reporting about him and all of these other... Uh, intelligence people that seem to confirm his story i thought uh this seems like the best this seems like the most solid case for uaps uaps to date then i saw him interviewed and he seemed like a crazy guy so i kind (laughs) of just you get that sense sometimes uh, when you see someone actually on video on the other hand you know i i have people i know that are saying because of the multiple confirmations from other respected people former intelligence people that they take it very seriously and um uh and and i think i don't know i think we'll know soon i don't know i mean i i I really i really uh i put i put the odds at like five percent when i first saw the david grutch story drop 
Um, but then when I saw his crazy eyes, I, I put that down to like 1%. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. I think there's multiple things going on simultaneously. I think if you go back to the sightings that happened in this country, specifically the multitude of sightings that happened after we dropped the bombs, mm. there seems to be, if they're telling the truth, there's a lot of credible sightings by high-level military people, by people that claimed they shut down nuclear missile bases and that they did things, that they hovered over bases and that fighter jets scrambled to go after them. All this stuff seems verifiable, that there was some sort of a phenomenon back when there was no possible technology that existed that could do that mm -hmm. in terms of like what we could make. I don't think that's the case anymore. My feeling is there's probably real life situations where we or someone encounters something from somewhere else. I think it would be foolish to think that it's not possible. Just given the vast scope of the universe and the possibility of things existing in a much more stable environment where they don't have to worry about asteroid storms and a different kind of solar system or the different kind of life form that doesn't have all the, the primate issues that we have that evolves to the point where it's capable of traveling through the universe and visiting these semi-primitive cultures like ours or relatively primitive cultures. I think that's possible. I also think when the government starts telling you about out-of-world crafts and things not of this earth and all that, I think that's what I would say if I had some technology that we have developed that is insane, that is beyond the imagination of the Luddite, beyond the imagination of the person who doesn't understand the physics involved and whatever this propulsion system they've engineered is. And people have been working on magnetic propulsion systems and gravity propulsion systems forever. Yeah. They've been, at least in concept. It's entirely possible that with the unlimited amount of funds that the, the government has, to, to develop, that the military has to develop things, that somewhere they've developed some sort of a drone that's capable of moving in ways mm -hmm. that we can't even imagine. And that's what the Tic Tac UFO is and all, those, all the other mm -hmm. military sightings. I think they all, they seem to happen near where military bases are. They, they seem to happen like off the coast of San Diego is the Tic Tac one. There's, there's a big military presence in San mm -hmm. Diego. They happen off the East Coast where they have military bases and these restricted air zones. They, they happen in these places where they run test, like when they, they do training missions with jets. And that's how these fighter pirates like Ryan Graves have encountered these things. Mm -hmm. Specifically after they updated their sensors. Mm. These people have spotted things visually. They have visual confirmation. They have their their uh, detection systems have seen these things. But who's to say that these things aren't some sort of fucking crazy drone that mm -hmm. we have developed that we don't want the world to know that we've developed it? So we say, "Oh, it's out of this world. It's crazy." UFOs, bro. That's I hear in Brazil that they're publicly way more open to the possibility of UAPs and even the the government has like kind of looked into it open-mindedly and um uh, and in Brazil it's just been like an open conversation a non-taboo conversation for decades. Yeah, it's very different. Um also there's a, a very famous uh sighting or a, event that happened in Virginia. So uh the town of Virginia, Brazil actually has this giant flying saucer like as a monument 
dedicated to this event that happened in the 1990s. It's documented in the James Fox documentary, uh, Moment of Contact. Mm. It's a great documentary <laughs> because you go into it open-minded and you go, well, what did these fucking people see? Because mm. they bring this police officer to the site of where they supposedly found this crashed thing that happened during some crazy electrical storm, something crashed, and then another vehicle seemed to have been looking for it. And supposedly, according to the story, and the people that were that w they were interviewed, they saw creatures. They saw this creature, and one of them was injured, and this, this soldier took this creature to more than one different hospital, it's documented, and then that soldier died, that soldier died of some crazy bacteria infection, some, some crazy infection that they couldn't treat. He died, he was a young guy, and he died pretty quickly after it happened. And there's people that, to this day, they're they're like you know much older now, and they describe when they were children, and they saw this thing. They saw this living creature that had apparently had been trying to communicate with them and ask them for help. And that that after that happened, there was another craft that came that was seen by thousands of people in this town that described this exact same thing where they saw this thing that appeared to be like looking for this crash craft or the members that were inside the the creatures that were inside this thing. I don't know. It sounds awesome. That's what I'm scared of. Mm -hmm. What I'm scared of is I want it to be real. Right, right. That it's cool sounding. Yeah. And look, this guy, David Grutch, he says they have evidence of organic materials yeah. that are not man-made. Right. That's a very easy claim to prove or disprove. Right. You could send bits of it to five different labs tomorrow if, if anyone had it and have them all independently confirm. Right, but David Grush is not saying he has any personal experience with this. <laughs> this is where it makes it interesting. Mm. This is just stuff that was revealed to him, mm -hmm. which is also how I would get out information if I wanted to put out misinformation. Mm -hmm. I mean, we know that the uh, the federal government infiltrates extremist groups, and they put you know they have members. I mean, like when the famous Gret Gretchen Whitmer case, when they were saying that they were going to kidnap her. And it turned out that 12 of the 14 people that were involved were federal informants. So mm. 12 of the 14 people were feds that were involved in this <laughs> kid. So, like, if I was going to, if I wanted to release some fake information, mm -hmm. I would find some dude. Mm -hmm. And I'd say, hey, man, this is a, look at this. This is crazy. Look mm. what we found. Mm. You know? Like, uh, I want you to investigate this. Yeah. And and then, you know, like, maybe you, you should probably be a whistleblower. I should tell the world. You should tell the world. Dude, you should tell the world. And but <laughs> if you haven't seen it yourself, this mm -hmm. is all just it's all hearsay. talk. Yeah. You're reading documents. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're true, maybe they're not. What fascinates me is people like Commander David Fravor that encountered that tic tac mm -hmm. thing and mm -hmm. the other fighter pilots in, in a different jet that encountered this. They they saw this thing and they saw it take off at insane rates of speed and then, then they tracked it where it went to their cat point, which is their agreed upon uh, point where this mission had like very specific areas that they were going to go to. This thing went directly to there at the same rate of speed that supposedly if there was a human being inside of it, they'd just turn into jello. Like mm. you wouldn't, you would, and the structure would break apart. Like mm. nothing that we have can withstand that, that kind of G force and that kind mm -hmm. of speed. So what is that? What is that? Is that a propulsion system that is right now unknown to the general population is that something that they've been working on for a long time where they've developed this ability to get this thing to move yeah. to certain directions well i know there's this guy mick jenkins you know you know about him no mick jenkins uh made a series of videos and, and articles explaining in detail how that could all be 
camera error and um very kind Mick of West. A, a Mick West. Mick yes. Jenkins. Mick Jenkins yeah. is the rapper. I'm an idiot. Um, yeah. Mick West. M- Mick West. You've seen is, those? Yes. Yeah. The, but but the problem is he's assuming that all of their communications that they don't know what they're seeing that they don't know how to read their, their 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 these machines that are detecting things that their eyes are deceiving them they're they're looking at this thing physically mm-hmm. either they're lying or they don't know what they're looking at. He's a non-believer believer. Mm-hmm. You know, there's people that are just skeptics no mm-hmm. matter what, and they're not going, I don't know what that is. They're like, no, there's no way that is this. Mm-hmm. But when you talk to the actual fighter pilots that have listened to his criticism, of a, like he doesn't know what he's talking about. Mm. That's what they say. <clears throat> right. I don't know who's telling the truth. I don't right. know who's correct. But I would probably believe that they understand that a thing that moves from 50,000 feet above sea level to 50 in a second Mm. is beyond comprehension. If the the tracking systems are accurate, which they are with everything else, they are with all the jets, and there's ways to detect them, or there's ways to evade them, right? That's what the stealth bomber's all about. There's ways to evade certain radar systems. Mm. But there's like multiple systems and physical, like, uh, or rather visual recognition of this thing where multiple people have seen this thing move mm. in this very bizarre way mm. and then there's the video of this thing taking off at this is supposed insane rates of speed there's the go fast one that's uh, mm-hmm. off the coast the east coast there's these weird things where you're like what are they looking at yeah why wh- how fast is that thing going and what's why doesn't it have a heat signature like what where's the propulsion system what is that thing you know is that just a mylar balloon and they're stupid that doesn't seem to make sense to me. Mm. Doesn't seem to make sense to me that they're detecting this thing that, according to Ryan Graves, m- stays motionless in 120 knot winds, and then can zip off in some insane way. They don't understand what it's doing. That they're seeing this. Is it a a circle inside of a sphere or a sphere inside of a circle? No, I'm sorry. Uh, is it a, a a circle inside of a sphere? Or is it a, uh, a, a, a not I mean, a circle inside of a square or a, a cube? Yeah, it's like a cube in a sphere. A cube inside of a sphere. Yeah. So there's a translucent sphere, and inside is a black cube. And they keep seeing this very specific thing mm. that behaves in this way and moves in this crazy way. Well, if they have something that can manipulate gravity, and something the that moves to your in a totally though, different way, if it was our government doing that, wouldn't they make sure? everyone in the Air Force was clear of the area before that before they tested it? Or is it that they're not coordinated? Well, maybe with, they want know. them to be able to detect it. Maybe they want to see how much they can see of these things. If, they, if it's a drone and you have these fighter pilots, and you, if you wanted to test some super sophisticated, just ultra-secret To see if it's undetectable yeah. by radar. I or see. how much yeah. of it is detectable. Let's mm-hmm. upgrade their systems, mm-hmm. and let's send these things loose, and let's see how often they spot them. Mm. And let's see you know, let's see what they can do. Can they mm. track these things? Are, mm. are we capable of tracking them? When they do move off at like a million miles an hour, like how much can we see? What, right. what can we do? And what can we do with these things? Like maybe right now they can't use them in terms of like maybe there's not a, a, some sort of a military way to use it you know it's just they just fly real fast so maybe they're still in some sort of a stage of development Mm. you know and if something is moving at that insane speed maybe you can only have it made out of a certain thing maybe you can't put weapons on it maybe you can't put electronics on it maybe Mm. you can only make it move around Mm. i don't know but the whole thing that it's 
definitely from another world. If they're telling me it's from another world, I'm like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. you guys aren't square about anything. Why would you be square about that? It's definitely more likely to be from our world. No doubt. More likely. More likely. At the same time, I, you know, I think most, most people that believe life is biological and that God didn't start it all and earth isn't special would acknowledge there's probably life out there. Yeah. Right? Most likely. Most likely. And if it's advanced, it would be curious. Just like we're curious. Yeah. So I don't, that, that's why I don't rule it out. Like I said, I, I always assign it very low probability because the odds are things that are crazy and on earth are created by us and we just haven't found out about that yet. But I don't rule out the extraterrestrial source. For me, it's a frustrating distraction that's mm. like less frustrating than social media. Mm. It's less frustrating than scrolling through Instagram, but it's equally unsatisfying. Right. I'm like, Ugh, what is that? What am I wasting my time paying attention to? Yeah. Like, show me some shit or leave I'm not going to be the one to figure it out. So. No, no, <laughs> no. Well, listen, man, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, my pleasure. I, I really appreciate you very much, and yeah. I appreciate the way you think about things. Oh, thanks. You're very intelligent, very objective, and just measured, and I think you're an important voice out there. Oh, thanks, Joe. I appreciate really appreciate that. you. And thank tell everybody you. how they can listen to you more. Yeah, listen to my podcast, Conversations with Coleman. I release an episode a week. Uh, I write for the free press and for my own Substack called Coleman's Corner. And uh, go to colemanhughes.org. All right. Thank you very much. Cool. Bye, everybody. Bye.